Welcome back to LiveAnimated.com. Let's learn something new. I have a very cool guest with me tonight, uh, Damon Shelton. What's up, man? How you doing? I've been good, man. It's been quite a while since we worked together at LucasArts. I know it's been a long time, and we're (laughs) going to get into that, too. So this channel is based on um, bringing on people that work in the video games industry to help and inspire others who are looking to get into the industry. You may already be in the industry, but you may want to change direction. So our guest tonight is actually a technical director. So what are some of the things you do as a technical director where you are right now? You're at the Capture Lab Electronic Arts. Yeah, it, it was the Capture Lab for 23 years um, back in September. Um, it's part of kind of a central group for EA um, that covers every ground across from doing character art to environments to lighting to audio and even you know tool development and motion capture. And so our group is... You know, it was Capture Lab, which is what it's been known for for a long time, but now we're actually, the rebrand is, the whole group is now EA Create, which they announced in September, um, and Capture is a part of that group, so we're just really breaking it down to this domain. So we don't have to always explain ourselves every time we talk to someone new and they're like, well, what is Capture Lab, right? Um, my, My role is to direct and manage kind of the the overall pipelines and technologies and hardware and stuff. So in Capture, that's not just motion capture. We do all of our scanning. So And we have portable scan rigs we've developed that we fly around the world constantly scanning like sports talent for, you know, all our sports titles. Um, and so it's a very wide variety of stuff that I'm managing. Um, and I'm doing it for the global group. That's awesome. Do you still get to like be hands-on with things, or is it all just management at this point? Um, I do get hands-on on on some stuff at, when it's out of necessity. I try to stay in my role. You know, I have to manage a lot, so I try to stay off of the current production need tasks. Mm-hmm. But I am doing hands-on stuff for future development and AR and you know where like the R and D of stuff. Going, of like this is the new technology going and mm-hmm. and kind of laying groundwork for when the tech team that I manage gets to a point where now they're moving to those tasks and they can take on and do the production part of it. And it wasn't just sitting there as an idea, right? That's so, awesome, dude. Yeah, That's so awesome. It's a lot of fun. So let's go way back. <clears throat> let's go back to when you got started. It looks <laughs> oh, like you didn't back. start. Yeah, way way back. So you went to the Art Institute of Houston. Yes. So at that point, did you know you wanted to be a technical director? Was this something that you just um, kind of approached as uh, you were longer in the industry? Or how did you yeah, come about I, it, it's choosing thing, this school? Well, well, when I first went to the Art Institute, I thought my direction in life was going to be doing advertising, like graphic mm, design. Okay. Because that's what I was because I was always an artist. Yeah, see, it's 1996 to 98, so yep. games weren't the same. No, they They were pretty weren't. big. I mean, I think uh, Tomb Raider was out for PS1. That was about when Toy Story came out, too. Yeah, Toy so Story, went, yeah. You know, especially the 3D world at that time. I I'd been, I had already been working since I was 14 um, uh, as, like, a game designer on, like, text-based RPGs. Oh, wow. So and stuff before they were doing 2d sprites and all of that so i didn't go to school until four years after i'd already started oh wow that's crazy so wait did you do you did that in high school or was this an extracurricular program outside of high school as work oh wow i was was freelancing on when i wasn't child labor laws i don't want to say too much (laughs) um well back then i was allowed to work at that age oh okay yeah 
they, they've had a lot of changes since then because that was back in 92, 91, 92, I think, somewhere around there when I yeah, started. Yeah, if, if you go four years back, yeah, it'd be 92. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the things you learned, I guess, on the job before you went to school? And were you already, were you like, I just need to get a degree in this so I can be legit? Or were you just like, um, I want to learn more? Like, what was the motivation for well, you to go to degree, RCA Houston? I mean, in most of the industry, especially back then, like degree was an important piece of being hired, not just work experience, mm -hmm. right? So I had work experience, but you know, I'm applying against people that at that time were getting lots of degrees in like engineering or something like that. Now, the technical side didn't come until years later. It, it was all about the art side mm -hmm. at that point. And when I went to the Art Institute to look at their graphic design course, that it was their first round of just starting their 3D animation course way back then. Mm -hmm. There was no specialization there. It was just digital animation. So, yeah, yeah. so, you know, it was very broad learning of it and more about learning how to use, you know, 3D DOS and Yeah. And I, I went tools. to the RC to Pittsburgh and at that time we still had those blue S SGI machines and stuff. So you guys had those too, no, right? No, we were You didn't even have we that? We were still on some you know pcs and oh my goodness we, we got offered some sgis at one point which the school turned down because they didn't have anyone who could teach it or support it too right even well, though they were going to get them free it was a whole lab of them but they made that choice yeah when we had ours we didn't have anyone really to teach them we had a guy who he got it i guess the that uh break before school started yeah and he just learned how to navigate and do things and then that's what he taught us when we were in class and then after that, they just everything switched over to Maya at that point. So, yeah, for like my one. For me, I didn't actually start using Maya until early two thousands. Oh wow! Um, so, so my path kind of has jumped back and forth between film and TV mm -hmm. and commercials and video games and VFX, and I haven't really stayed one path that was just like video games or something in that sense. And that that I feel has kind of helped me do it for so long. You know, easily adapt to things is yeah. adapting and always learning and and back then it was doing artwork you know it was game design and then it was like ooh, 2d sprites that's cool that's a newer thing and started working on some doing contract for doing 2d sprites and things like that and then when, when i went to the art institute that's when i discovered 3d and was like mm. whoa this is what i'm doing i'm not gonna do that graphic design so what was your track that you were on there because i know it's set up a little different from a four-year school and how the art institute does yeah. things were you a, on like a animation track were you on the graphic design track or it, was the a, IBT I or? Was, it was a digital animation digital animation so okay. my degree is was an associates in in digital animation okay um so we learned you know doing 2d stuff and and uh, director mm -hmm. and you know old school <laughs> before, yeah, yeah, yeah. before there was um, what was it called flash and stuff like mm -hmm. that it was like pre-flash and so we learned doing you know hand-drawn 2d but doing it digitizing it right mm -hmm. so scanning it in and then doing overlay paints in photoshop which was oh, very early photoshop at that time but yeah it was like yeah. photoshop 2 yeah, 1 maybe when you early, did it, yeah, yeah. Um, you know and and over time the what what I gained most from just taking the course was really learning tools of the trade that I wouldn't have had, had access to, mm -hmm. right? It, I didn't, especially that was so early on, I was one of their first graduating classes in their 3D program, which was new to most schools. Um, and that was, that was more of a learning path. I learned more in the sense of 
doing it as a job and continuing mm -hmm. after school but during school you know it it did give me access to tools i wouldn't have had access to i wouldn't have gone into 3d had i not gone to the art institute probably until much later what did you have access to when you were 14 what, what programs were you using are we using like ms paint or something like that or uh debabilizer <laughs> i remember that name i remember that to palletize out for the 2d sprite work when i was doing that um but before that like i was saying it was just text-based oh, rpg wow. so yeah. that was an irc online that was there was it wasn't like doing it on a console or anything. Gotcha. That was just people going in and hitting, typing yes or pick up stick, you know, kind of yeah. responses. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. All right. Well, <laughs> cool. I was going to ask what your takeaway was, but you already talked about it, So that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, so now that we uh, go from school, your first job, you were a level designer at Big Sky Interactive. How was that transition from going from uh, the Art Institute into Big Sky? Um, it was a hard transition. I, because um, coming out of school, you know, I got the degree, but then there was still just the lack of work experience doing the 3D work that I was trying to get into because games were all moving to 3D and they were not so much 2D sprite based. Um, I was in Austin. It was, and, you know, at that point, that was like after the origin days and you know, it was right at that transition mm -hmm. where there wasn't a lot of options at the time. It built back up for a while. But um, actually, the way I got the job at, at Big Sky, which it went through transitions. It was actually Daylight Productions when I started. And then okay. they were bought by Callisto out of France. So we became Callisto USA. And then mm. um, so they could after have, that they could have a down, hub here. We, we kind of formed it as Big Sky Interactive and continued the titles we were on. They worked out the publishing deal with nice. the publishers so i only just listed as one because it was a couple of years but it was we went through a no, that series makes sense. if not then it looks like i worked really sense. quickly at like three jobs that did, doesn't help on the resume but yeah <laughs> oh you're a job jumper you know yeah you don't want of, it to be like two months two months two, two months yeah. yeah but it was all one seat one job um but but getting the job i actually met the people because i was having a hard time getting in you into know, the industry into the industry okay uh, just with the lack of work experience doing the 3d work i knew how to do it but i didn't have proof of that i only had the 2d and the text-based stuff so making that jump it you know it wasn't easy so was level design what you went into because that's what was available or um well they called it level design but i was like building the levels and texturing and lighting and doing all that much while more. also there, there wasn't a lot of split when it was a designer at that time you also built the levels. You were the level world builder, the everything on that whole level, um, or the levels that you kind of, you know, were, were put in charge of. Um, but I met, so we used to go to 3D Max, 3D Studio Max user group that we had in Austin. Um, and at the time I was working as a web designer, you know, for a company. I went to one of the groups, and he, the owner there actually introduced me to a friend of his that worked at Daylight Productions, who I still keep in contact with, Matt Sibilia. Oh, wow, that's awesome. He's, a, you know, he's been our director for years, worked on Wing Commander, all that stuff back in the day. Like, mm -hmm. he's still around, and we catch up at GDC all the time, make sure that if we're in the same place, we go have dinner or something. Um, but he goes, tell you what, I'll give you, let you come in and take a test. And, you know, and I hadn't been a level designer to that extent. And the test was he, 
it was still VHS tape. So here's the training for these custom proprietary tools that they got from Callisto. And and he gives me the tape, and I, he goes, you watch the tape, and then you're going to, from that tape, you're going to build like a little bit of level, just see how you do. And I watched the tape, and then I wound up building out like several rooms and hallways, and he kind of saw that I just picked it up, so he gave me a shot. That's awesome. Um, Congratulations, so that dude. Was, so I got I got very lucky there. I met the right people at the right time. Yeah. Going to things like Game Dev Drink Up or these these user groups is very important. Mm. Um, and I would always tell people, make sure they're going to those. I still go to the ones we have here in L.A. You know, it's good Yeah, it's networking. a good way to network. And yeah. if you're meeting people outside of who you haven't worked with or haven't gone to school with, it's a great way yeah. to meet people. Yeah. yeah, it's a great way to actually meet people that are doing it. Yeah. And others that aren't doing it, and y'all can kind of help network each other, and and it's a great, great uh, resource, resource for, yeah. for 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 doing that. Um, and that's it awesome. worked for me, and that's how I wound up there. And we did, we 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 worked on a title that didn't ship, which oh, was yeah? my that first happens. experience of like, oh, worked on something that never saw the light of day. Yeah, as sad as we were, but then we wound up doing the first SpongeBob game. Mm that was ever made with the curse of the flying dutchman which won like nick kids choice award that year or something nice. which was fun it that was, was a, cool that was a very popular show man and then we also did the video game for jimmy neutron for the movie mm-hmm. that, was a big that deal. leads to my next yeah endeavor which was going over to dna productions nice to wind up yeah that was a huge show when it came out too man yeah Everybody loved that. Yeah, Jimmy so I neutron. went on to work on the tv series mm, so i worked nice. with jimmy neutron for <laughs> I don't know how many years because um, we did three seasons of Jimmy Neutron and you know but that was using Lightwave too so mm-hmm. I had to learn how to use Lightwave and and how to um, so was Lightwave your first uh, 3D program that you actually no, jumped 3D into 3D Studio Max was oh Max I was I do that okay. thing inside and out and, okay. and then went over there and they were using Lightwave to do all the art and then rigging and animation in Maya and then spitting that back out and rendering it out in, in Lightwave <laughs> So you were the you went from level designer to uh, character technical director. So well, what was how was that transition? So like, the transition there there was a slow transition. My okay. my final title was character technical director. Oh, okay. Um, Did you go I, in there as a level designer? Or? When I went in there, I actually started as a PA. Oh wow! I took a PA gig to get it my foot in the door. Right. Okay. And then did kind of the same thing with the 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 modeling group, which. At DNA and the TV series, the modeling group, there were certain people that stuck to like characters or this and that, but there was, there was a lot of just you're building whatever you need to build. You're going to build like a Jimmy Neutron style controller or gadget, or you're going to build put together a whole level jack of all like trades, a whole background Everybody, kind of thing, you and you're modeling all the pieces that you get from storyboard. Nice. So we'd get the script and the storyboards and then have to go through the storyboards and kind of call out, oh, we need to make this device. We don't have something and just yeah. made a list and just modeled them. Yeah. Um, but it, it was another one of those where I did the test, you know, and they liked the test and gave me the shot. Um, so there was a lot of I got at the right place, right time kind of set up for my first few studio gigs, mm-hmm. um, you know, before big sky and i went to school i'd already been doing it for four or five years already mm-hmm. and contract working on stuff and you were there for three years <laughs> was jimmy neutron taking up the bulk of that time you were there or was um, there other 
Yeah, we projects? did the three seasons of Jimmy Neutron, and then we did the Ant Bully movie. Mm. Um, was that your? That was your first feature, right? Yeah, nice. that was my first feature film, which was awesome. Yeah, because um, I didn't work on the Jimmy Neutron movie; I just worked uh, on the okay. series. Um, but what I did—did did you get to uh, while you while you brought that up? Did you use the same? Did they use the same assets? Did you have any visual? Um, uh, did you have any anything to do with them making it there at that studio? Or is that made by someone else and they just brought the IP so they can make the movie? I'm not too clear on that. Uh, DNA did the film, okay, and then they did the series. Uh, okay, so they did all the. So no, nothing crossed over. Nothing. It wasn't like different companies uh, did okay. it. They, they. Uh, so we did have some assets from the film that were still reused, like Jimmy and the right. characters and stuff. But there was a lot of new stuff that we uh, made. Okay, gotcha. Um, by the time you get to season three, you have so much stuff you can kind of pull from to go faster that we were actually getting done with our stuff on on certain linked shows mm -hmm. that were just happening in his neighborhood and things like that, that we'd be done with that in a day That's between cool. the group rather than be like a few weeks of modeling. It would just be like, oh, we're ahead of storyboards. There's not <laughs> yeah. just double-checked storyboards. It wasn't something we missed. And so we were actually, by you get to season three, you have so much you know, just library of stuff you can pull from. Yeah. And the team was great. It was, a lot of people refer to it as the animation boot camp for people because a lot of people in the industry doing animation now, they they started there, mm -hmm. you know, and that was a, a pretty hefty track for, especially the animation team who were doing like a thousand frame, uh, what was it, a thousand frames a week to, yeah. to final. And it was, it was really well just, done. It was really well animated for TV series. I mean, there's a lot of shows out now that yeah, are like there were a lot of not the quality bar is not came there. through there that are still big names in the industry and yeah. animation, you know, they went through there and what I learned most there was how to be fast and efficient but keep the quality, you know, and that was my big learnings that I got from there. And but when I shipped it on to Amboli, that's when I started making the trek into the tech side. So when I were there as a hard surface modeler was building out stuff like, and then we started learning Houdini and mm -hmm. Nuke and we were using Maya and I had to learn Maya on the job kind of thing. A lot of the people did because we'd been using Lightwave fully and they wanted to then use Renderman and stuff like that. And it, there was, you know, there was just data differences cool. from Lightwave versus the output from Maya and some other packages. Um, but re how I got into the tech was just at the time there weren't enough tools there or the tools couldn't keep up with you know the workflow that we and speed we were right going with production at. so, you so guys I just to started creative. little scripts here and there and kind of found a knack for it and that's how I got moving to the technical side where were you writing them in I mean you ML, had to pick that up as well yeah, too. I had a, so scripting I had was learned new to a you. little um in lightwave so L script Okay. Um, but then when we got into Maya, I started using Mel. And it, a lot of it was record first and copy-paste, clean it up, and then I didn't have to do that task repeatedly, all those steps. you know. And that So you're like self-taught yeah. when it comes to like being On uh, the technical, technical side. side. I didn't do any schooling for the technical. Oh, wow, that's cool. So I didn't know that. So, But that's that kind of got me on the path to go the more technical route. But then on Ant Bully, it's funny, I actually got six credits in the film. That's cool. Because we wrapped up all of our world art, and they were like, hey, we need help over here. And I did jump over into that group and then worked in that group for a few months. And then 
So I went through lighting and compositing and and just like generalist TD work, pipeline TD work, helping with write tools and scripts and and I and you know that was kind of the first foray into like proceduralism and stuff and Houdini. So like building the whole house because we had to deal with two spaces, but you don't want to build everything twice. So we you know, we're in Houdini proceduralizing where we could then scale up detail dynamically when they had to go into ant ant scale, mm-hmm. you know, and still be in the same world. Man, um, that's pretty cool. So it sounds like that was a really good first position. Oh, it was it was great. It was really great. I was actually my mentor in the character T D realm and rigging and all that was Michael Comet, who's been around for years with Comet cartoons and mm-hmm. his tools and stuff and kind of a and the tech side he's one of those legends so i, I think I've, they he had his stuff online where you can just like use it right it's almost like that what was that other stuff. guy named like pepe or something like that when he used yeah. to let put rigs out and stuff yeah use. so he had a bunch of tools and things he had like the first post-based deformer which helped with deformation and stuff like that and that was all free to use and but but he was just a great guy and you know he's been at pixar since oh, wow. and bully and was one of their like I don't even know what he does now. Full, I know he's, he's one of the full timers. Like modeling and stuff too of characters and things. And yeah. so it's very cool that I was fortunate enough to actually have that jump and have the availability of a mentor like that. Because um, sometimes you find, you know, where you work, you, you wind up with, I guess, the, you know, people you don't even realize. Like, mm. you know, some people know go into mean. work and, they're very into their stuff, and they don't really socialize, like socialize, to know who and network, is there, and really like, oh get to goodness. know people, what you can learn from them, and what you could share with them. Yeah, and that's just something I've always done. Is I'm always looking to learn, and that's how I've evolved so much over the years. But it's it's a key thing. Like you, yeah. you kind of have to even just even if you're the greatest animator ever, the way everything moves like if you don't learn at least a bit of this or a bit that extra yeah. different techniques always stuck help into yep. getting surpassed by how the industry moves yeah. yeah and just keeping up with technology as a whole yeah that's awesome man so you went from uh the technical director at dna to uh lucas arts yes. character technical director so now i went over to lucas arts and uh, when I joined LucasArts, I... And that's where we met. That's where yeah, we met. That is yeah. where we met, yeah. yeah. But when I joined, I was on the on their incubator team. Mm. And we were working on coming up with new IP on the Nintendo DS. Because mm. that was a cheaper way to kind of... Oh, were you on develop. You were on Bill Mooney's team? Mm-hmm. Ah, nice. That's so awesome. I was on that group. And then they kind of shut that group down for a bit mm-hmm. to try to re-figure it out. Um, but a lot of the designs that we did still continued on. And they wound up doing like... Once they built up Team 3 again, or the Incubator team, they they wound up with like their Team 13, and a lot of those things came off of ideas we built up for a long time. Um, But I went over to work on the Indiana Jones game that didn't come out, and doing that stuff, and then worked on Force Unleashed. Yeah, I remember playtesting the Indiana Jones game. It was pretty fun. It was different. I mean, for it to be on a handheld, I was like, wow, this is pretty crazy. But then when we, but the one we were doing for the, for PS3 and and 360 at the time. I know there were some demos out where we had all the all the fancy physics stuff that was going on, and that was uh, and that's why we were starting to utilize all of the DMM stuff, like mm-hmm. fit, you know the breakables and all that for mm-hmm. Force Unleashed. So I, that's when I started diving in 
away from just rigging characters or something like that and started working on tools that like more physics based stuff and even and learning cinematics more and cameras and by helping write cinematic tools and pipelines that we needed because you know force unleashed had all these big cinematics mm-hmm. you know and that was aside from doing you know jimmy neutron and bully like video games i worked on prior the cinematics were all just kind of in-game igc stuff you know mm-hmm. so it was little little cuts of some story but it wasn't like these big cinematics especially learning things like you know uh cinematography and cameras and lighting i think they were stuff. doing their cinematics like real time right that was the goal the goal was i don't think they were we did yeah. a few renders i remember going to yeah, some there of were the only meetings. a few that had to be rendered because it like was cutting between levels or mm-hmm. locations that wasn't a way to really yeah. load it but for the most part yeah everything was running as real time as we could make it yeah that was That's that awesome. was that was also very technically challenging but but yeah it was a it was a good place to be and learn more and actually that's where i met a lot of my longtime friends mm-hmm. that you know still keep up with and have worked with again in other locations yeah um but yeah a funny story with me going to lucas arts after dna had shut down or not dna but uh big sky mm-hmm. um and i was trying to find a job again because i wound up moving to dallas or Ir- irving near dallas from austin to go to dna because there were really a lot of places were shutting down at the time in Austin. Um, I actually had interviewed, and they're like, "Well, you know, your art art is good, but what we're looking for is someone who could work at LucasArts." So that I turned around and went, <laughs> kind of a, sh- "I'll show you," and went and got a job at LucasArts. Right? Nice. So, so that was that's a fun thing I always keep in the back of my mind. I'm not yeah. like calling them up. That it's challenge. It's like, oh, I'm at LucasArts now, but. <laughs> hey, man, that sometimes that's a great motivator. Yeah. People not giving you a shot and you're like, and okay, then, well, let me change this a little bit. Yeah. And just, you know, it, it's a lot of self-assurance of, in myself too of, yeah. you know, if I put my mind to it, I can make this happen, you know, and. Yeah, no, that's a good a good thing to to know about yourself. Yeah. Uh, I like to also like do retrospect. So, going from level design to character technical director, I think you kind of found like this is what I want to do. What are some of the things that you would have done or chosen to do um, that could have helped you prepare? Because you are a very very self taught person. Yeah. What are some of the things that you would have been if you look back at even even the schooling and even the level design position? Um, it sounds like you've had uh, the whole jack of all trades. You got to, to learn a lot. You got to experience a lot, which is very uncommon. Like yeah. when you get when you first get hired on. But for the people who are in your similar situation, um, outside of what you've already discussed, like what were some of the things after looking back and retrospecting and being like, hmm, man, I wish I would have been able to dabble in this or this and this that would have prepared you more for technical director, uh, character technical director type work. Actually, there's. For me, I think with where my transition's gone, especially being self-taught, like if I would have continued studying, you know, more advanced mathematics, linear algebra, like I could be way ahead of my game. I'm still where I'm at and doing a good job, but with stuff like machine learning and all this AI stuff coming down the pipe and, you know, that's all crazy math that, you know, I, I have a basis in it, but I didn't keep up with it because I was doing art and wasn't really <laughs> paying attention. And that would that's my biggest thing is I wish I had, because I loved math, 
all through school when I was taking it, and I was pretty good at it. I just I didn't. It, you're, it, it like every, the back of my mind. It's like everybody else. Like you're it. like, I will never use this. It will when never will go I past this. <laughs> yeah. I use an imaginary number. But like now you know. Calculus uh, yeah. is good to know if you're going into character yeah. director stuff. Especially yeah. linear algebra is the biggest. Ah, uh, okay. Because um, a lot good of to know. The, a lot of the um, algorithms around machine learning and neural networks and all that stuff is, you know, it's doing, you know, linear algebraic and calculus solving. Um, just giant matrices and all that stuff. And I self-taught to get myself back up to a good spot with it. And I'm still even learning. I'm like, I'm mm. going online and, you know, taking online courses at night and, you know, off of different programs like Udemy and some other ones mm. that are really good resources um, and going through those. So I just keep pushing because, you know, I could probably do the job I do now for years to come and it would still be the same job it is. But that's just not who I've been, and and I'll keep learning. That's why I keep doing this. Cause yeah, I think this career is all about adapting and, and learning. And, yeah. and there's a certain point where you have to self-teach yourself stuff, or you're going to end up just, like you said, falling behind, or someone's going to come and outshine yeah. you, and then you're just like, uh, it's going to be too late. Yeah. You know? Especially because there's more resources of learning stuff. That are free. That are free and schools and stuff like that, that then people coming out of school or ahead of the game on you even though you've got all this experience if you mm -hmm. don't keep up with that like that's one thing i really learned and i try to share a lot when like i go to gdc things like that i like to meet a lot of newer students or people coming in the industry and that's the biggest thing i can tell them is always keep learning like you just you can't stop if you do then you're either going to get unhappy in your job because you're not going to feel like you're going anywhere but you can't you know the, the industry is constantly evolving and it's evolving way faster now because computers are learning to do <laughs> yeah. the basis of stuff. I was going to yeah. ask you like what do you think about all these deep fakes man I mean like I think the last movie that just came out was Gemini Man and they did like just a straight up CG character yep. and it, it kind of bombed but uh, all these deep fakes coming out look so much better like the, these image deep fakes that yeah, are coming out look so much better than the traditional let's make a 3D model of the face and then project his text, his skin texture yeah, on it. Like what are your thoughts on that since that's kind of bridging into like what you do a little bit? Um, I see a strong usage for it and I like where it's going to be honest because it does solve hard challenges that in a cheaper way. Like when I'm thinking about work which is what I'm doing. It's my job. I'm doing work. I always have to remember that, you know, it's not about me fulfilling my artist desires, but I'm fortunate to have a job that I love doing because I don't always get to work on stuff I want to work on, you know. That's the price, man. That's the price you pay. <laughs> As you move up that ladder, you just start to facilitate. <laughs> but, but it's not just that. It's like yeah. even if I'm working in on a game, it may not be a game I'm enjoying Mm, I see that's not like my art that's not fulfilling my art because I'm making 20 AKs in a day or something right like it, it's it's uh and so I do stuff at home I to fulfill all that as in my day job I'm not doing a lot of art in that sense but I think with my programming and all of that there's a beauty and art to it that I embrace and enjoy in that's that good. That helps sense. keep the balance. But I still am an artist at heart. I, so yeah. I sit at home and I'll do sculpts and ZBrush and I'll, 
you know, That's and awesome. still keep up with it and make sure I don't lose that, which was the core of where I started. Yeah, I think ZBrush just had another update coming out that's going to be pretty massive with yeah. their uh, texturing and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that and Substance and, you know, stuff that I'm not actually using. But you can see se, where it's going to take but I know the work. I need to learn that. I need yeah. to know what's going on there and what's, yeah. what's the output, especially to do my job because yeah. we're building pipelines and for scanning and textures and you know digital character creation and all of that even props and clothing and a lot of that stuff how do we incorporate these tools to where it still becomes an artist friendly pipeline because nothing's ever just done out of the box like I, I you don't want anybody to pull a fast one over on you're like oh i'm gonna need four weeks for this no 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 i know what this program can do <laughs> there, you're there getting is, two weeks there, buddy <laughs> <laughs> there there is that but there is also how to put it, um, there's always going to be art direction, right? So mocap, like, yeah, I'm a big motion capture guy. I've done it for a long time. My actual first foray was at LucasArts on the N.A. and Jones game. I started working with the ILM, you know, motion capture team and started learning what's going on there and how to, we could incorporate it in games because we weren't, we were hand keying everything at that point. And I was looking at, like, yeah, Force Unleashed, it's big, animated, you know, inhuman movement most of the time. With Anna Jones, you're talking about a human man that runs and jumps like a human and sometimes can't make that leap. And, you know, and that's the best use of starting as a basis with motion capture. But with motion capture itself and scanning and all of that, it, it, there's still not a 100% solution done. And I approach it that way. And I... Some people approach it, you know, the other way, and they're like, no, eventually this is going to take all the animators' jobs, and it's going to be, and, but well, I Well, I think know. in the beginning, that's that's what the mindset was. Everybody mindset was like, was, oh, it's yeah. going to take your job, and everybody's like, see, now you're not going to be able to do anything. You're going to school for this, and yeah. that never has turned never out to happened. be the case. And, yeah, and It actually made it where you're more turn. in demand. Yes, you're more in demand, but you're also getting your job done more efficiently. Yeah, a lot faster, right. a lot faster. A better use of time, um, a better use of getting ideas out yep. quicker. Yes. And then even if you proof out that idea, you can still go, okay, well, I like this, but I'm having to touch this so much, I'm going to just take yep. the poses I yep. want and just do it by yep. hand. And that happens a lot. And yeah. that's, But that's where it's a tool, and you should yeah. always embrace these things as they're going to be tools to help you improve your job. Yeah. Right. So all the machine learning, all the deep fake stuff to get back to that. Yeah. In the end, yes, it's going to look great for 80 percent of it. So when do you think something like that's going to be incorporated into like a full production? Like right now, I think people are having fun. Enthusiasts are having fun with it. But I, I do not believe it's been in a full production yet. But some of it looks really good. I think the yeah. ones that... um. I don't know the comedian's name, but he had the deep fake of. They did Arnold Schwarzenegger's face on him, and then they did. Um, oh yes, um, what is his it, name? It's not He's Bill Nader. Bill Nader. It's Bill. Nader? Bill Hader. Yeah, yes, Bill Hader. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that one was great. There was one recently where it was an impressionist, and he did the impressions and. Through those sections, they deep faked really good deep fake. That was the split screen one, right? Where they just had it on a scroll carousel at the bottom, and each person's face went that, through, and then they, they showed it on his face because yes. they were showing you the what was being solved in the yeah in the solver, and you know, and and it does show, yeah, that it they're 
advancing that technology really quickly and it will be a great tool that's going to be more believable it gets more into usage rights and licensing than all that is going to is the bigger challenge Mm -hmm. across the board in that sense because this actor wants to continue acting and Mm -hmm. get paid Mm -hmm. you know and that's their job it's just like an animator they don't want to give up their job to they if they expect just mocap comes off the stage and goes right in the game and we don't need animators anymore because it needs to be animated it needs to be cleaned up it needs to be cycled it needs all that touch that makes it usable um and the actors themselves they're an asset and they know that and which is good for them but yeah you have contracts like once they start giving up that rights to you know their likeness usage and stuff and then they start losing money and they start it hurts them like it's well, it could go the other way, too. I mean, do you ever think we'll get to the point where, let's just say, Jack Nicholson, right? We know from what he they've told us, Jack Nicholson doesn't really work because he just has a hard time remembering lines, is what he came out and said one time. Yeah. And he doesn't want to put himself through that. He doesn't need to work. Yeah. But could you imagine, like, all the work that he's done and they can do a, a very clean deep fake, like they did for Jim Carrey on that female body? That one was, the, I think, the you cleanest the, one. You saw the Jim Carrey as yes. in The Shining, right? Like. Oh, yes, that yes. too. But could you imagine people want to see Jack in something? Yeah. Could you imagine them doing it that way? But then he could, could still get paid yeah, yeah. for that. You know, instead of instead of just saying, oh, we have all your images and MGM or whoever owns all these pictures yeah. we're getting it from, no, we're I, not paying you. I can you. see it definitely that working be, that way. I, I actually worked on a Bring Someone Back from the Dead project, which was the Tupac hologram. Ah, uh, yes, which yes, yes, yes. kind of was a big opening to that whole thing when I was with Digital Domain. Um, we, oh, that's not the next one. That's not the next no, one. I'm a little early. <laughs> yeah, got, I remember that. I remember that because that one. Yeah, but. I saw that and I, I saw the Stan Lee one and there was another one that was done um, of this Chinese female performer. Yeah. She was already passed. I don't know her name and I'm not, I don't want to butcher it. Yes. But there was a, a event coming up over in China and so they did this for them and they had like this flying dragon going around her and stuff. I was like, oh my God, yeah. this is crazy. And they had like the Michael Jackson one. Yes. And they have a yes. lot of those. I think, I think there was, who else did they do? They didn't, I think there, at some point there was, heard rumors of like Nate Dogg or something, and mm. you know. I think that was supposed to happen. I didn't see that one. I, I didn't was ever there. see it happen. I don't know. No. Um, Only saw the first that, three. But that that was kind of a Pandora's box when we did that one. That, yeah. You know, was new grounds, which was great to be part of. And new hardware too. It wasn't like when you see it on TV or when you just see it, it's different. When you're there in person with all the hardware, yeah. Yeah, you're kind of like. Okay, I get it. You know, it, yeah. it's it's really different. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of the old, old school magic technique. Yeah, of, of but it it works. It works. But, but it really worked, and we we're happy with the output. And you know, and it and it it was, and it's finding myself through my career and positions to get to work on things like that. That are also things that motivate me to just keep doing it. Like I want to do more cool stuff. How can I? keep myself relevant to then be brought into a team to okay now we're gonna figure out this whole new thing where we're gonna do figure out deep fake have you tried that yet have you actually challenged yourself with incorporating that into something that could be a future project um, or not yet deep fake stuff yet um that's where i'm doing classes to actually learn machine learning and neural networks and all that stuff better 
before I just start using the tool. I want to actually know how it works. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen some tools that are like the machine learning stuff, but it's like 3D heads and 3D yeah. data that's coming in and uh, all the, the faces all targeted and all their stuff, like, which seems a lot different than the deep fake. That's what yeah. I was, was kind of asking well, about it because I know core, it falls in line with what you do. A lot of the machine learning stuff is still working at a 2D level. Uh, yeah, that's um, true. But you have then you cameras. have ways that you can then drive 3D data from that mm -hmm. 2D information. Um, that's where a lot of it's coming from because the solver is working on 2D images because once you get into 3D training data, like it's the calculations and time to solve those big matrices and memory and just time become, you know, in-dimensionally harder. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I did notice that uh, they were hand keying a lot of that stuff after the fact. Yeah. Which is crazy because you're talking about, you know, you brought up something before about like doing a thousand something frames for the show you're on. But yeah. they're doing like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of frames because the machine learning can just spit out those frames yeah. like so a lot of what, Crazy. what the work there is to to make it better is you're giving it kind of target frames. Mm -hmm. So you're going to a frame where it's starting to slip, or and it's just like if you're doing old school match moving or something. Mm -hmm. You know, over time that pixel may get blurry or something, and your job is to go click it back. <laughs> your jaw starts pixel. to go. Okay, let's right? fix that. <laughs> and that's that's where you know a lot of match movers stuff like that. That's that's the pe the role they're playing is that. It's still not a hundred percent solution. No. It's not magically perfect, and in, I don't think it ever will be. No. There will always be need to know those things. It may not be a full time job, but it will be a job that, you know. Not until a robot makes it, because <laughs> then it won't yeah, be no user the robot's error. Robot's job yeah. is to go back and click the dot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Remember when you used to have to go move this tracker back in place? Oh my god! Now the robot does it. Oh my god! So that's awesome, dude. I think I think that would be cool. I mean. You never know. That first, you got to think about it. The the savings you're going to have if you do defakes on movies or games or whatever, dude, that's going to make a huge difference. Yep. And you're going to start seeing that bloat that there is yep. now. I think, man, I can't remember the movie. Uh, Terminator. It yep. was the new Terminator that came out. Um, Just hundred. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. I don't have any spoilers. But um, I was reading that they didn't make anywhere near back as much money they spent on that film. They spent a lot of yeah. money on that film. And that's where it gets into, especially if you do like Gemini Man, right, where you do yes. this full digital character. For one, that's one of the hardest problems to do to solve, which we're getting better solutions, but it's still not solved, right? Like it's, even with like the deep fake stuff, yes, it's believable to a point, but it's still... You, yeah. you can see it, right? I mean, they had a lot um, of... Uh, there's some really good ones, definitely. Yeah. But it, it's like on the ideal video and on the ideal... Everything is ideal and you don't always have ideal as yeah. much as you try. I mean, they had a lot of fresh Prince of Bel-Air reference they could have used for okay. the younger version of him. I mean, they probably ha they probably oh, would have no. had it that Superman mistake would have to take the yeah. mustache out and stuff, you know? But, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm, there's always something when they try to make it so that uncanny valley they're always trying to make it so realistic where you're like oh the mouth doesn't look right or the face isn't looking right the textures look great yeah. everything looks That's great why it's still the hardest form, problem is because as humans you can see it we pick up when it's wrong yeah very quickly that's why it's the uncanny valley is because you know you don't want to land in it which means that you just kind of are in the creepy zone yeah. and 
you know, in a lot of games I've worked on over the years, like you wind up purposefully making sure you land on this side on either side, side of yeah yeah but not right when in you it land in it that's when stuff is weird and it looks bad yeah and sometimes you know it's just technology it's time cost you know if you had more time and more money to put at it that that's why some of these films cost so much money is because yeah. it's really expensive to get it even to a level where it's passable throughout the film and then you're doing it over a 90 minute film it's yeah. it's a hard problem yeah i've worked on that problem for years and years and it's you know it it really requires a lot and you know and there's that's where these things where they're able to learn this information and help feed you to get you further faster it's yeah. a tool i'm i'm always welcoming a lot of new tools and it's the same thing that's going on now with all the AI and the machine learning and everything, it's people getting back to the, oh, we're going to lose our job. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I look at this, just the same thing with motion capture happened, which I think was one of the big, there were several big shifts, right? Mm -hmm. So you had stuff where you went from everything's text-based to a programmer has to make the art for this game to, oh, we can do 2D sprites and an artist can paint it. And that was a big shift in the industry. And then we went from 2D to 3D. That was a huge shift and that actually... You know, some people survived, some people didn't. Low poly 3D at that, yeah. not even the high stuff yet. Yeah. And then you started getting into better GPUs and graphics and consoles that could, you know, render realistic lighting and stuff. And, you know, there's a lot, been a lot of big shifts and very key moments and and a lot of those, but the big ones that have always been the, ooh, scary, I'm going to lose my job is, you know, there's a few of those that have happened. And, yeah. you know, and mocap was one. And then now we're getting in the AI and, mm -hmm. you know, and when I talk with people, cause I've had those conversations, especially I go to GDC or something and everyone's sitting around getting some drinks and we get into that stuff. Mm -hmm. I have a good buddy of mine that's a technical animator that's, he and I really get into it, you know, on those discussions and those are great. We actually tried to do a panel on it once, but I didn't get to make it. I think they still did the panel mm. or a podcast, but I wasn't able to yeah. make it. I was like, oh, cause I was working, but <laughs> But that would have been a lot of fun. But I'm welcoming to those, you know, because it's just going to be another tool to make me more efficient. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. That's good to hear. So you went from LucasArts or Lucasfilm yeah. to Factor 5. And you went there. You were there for eight months, but you went there as the senior technical director and then into principal. What are the differences between those two roles? Um, so... So, so technical director really isn't a particular craft director. So it's more of a generalist TD in that sense. So I'm over Because you have to help so many Tools for animation, tools right. for rigging, tools for just exporting assets in the game and more pipeline work. Um, like character TD is, of course, doing rigging and muscle simulations and cloth sims and and everything related to character technical work. Um, but but in those senses, you have even variations to that. So like a lot of times people use, oh, I'm a, I'm a creature rigger, right? And a lot of that time, you're not doing like big picture, right? You're like, here's a character, I'm gonna rig it, paint with skin weights, I'm gonna make this move and function and apply muscles and stuff. And then when you get into like kind of the tech, technical director realm of it you're sitting there writing tools and 
writing muscle simulators and writing, you know, the bigger tool sets rather than spending more time on the actual asset work. Um, but when I went over to Factor 5, joined as a senior technical director, and I was doing a lot of rigging and stuff, but it was focused on pipeline. Um, and then when I went to principal technical director, that was that was being bumped up as a studio technical director. So out of all the TDs and technical artists and all that stuff, I was their manager across all the projects. The reason it was so short was they did shut down. Um, that was that was a whole a whole thing. I won't go yeah, into yeah, all yeah. that, but but you know we it it shut down and during that time we were working on trying to we were working with image movers digital which is the next job i wound up getting well i want to ask i want to ask not so much about this job but on these roles like so how much did your day-to-day change from being senior technical director where you were saying like you worked on some of the work but then making tools so you could automate that process a little bit when you went to principal what changed did anything change from the day-to-day of those two roles or is it just they did more Um, responsibility and that's the the big change was less actually doing it and more looking at what needs to be done. Mm. So the future and forward thinking. out the future okay. and of where we need to go in all of our development and our pipelines because you know, new consoles are coming. I've got to pay attention to that and start prepping and planning out like what are we going to do to handle moving to the new console while we're still making the current console. Mm. And, and so you, you wind up your focus isn't on, oh, I got to get this script written so that they can auto-build controls on this rig. I've got to look at, I need a new modular pipeline for rigging, mm-hmm. you know, and if it's going to support being able to do more data, we've then got to look at the core of it, what can be reused, what needs to be rewritten, organized, um, setting up development environments for big tools and big tool sets. Mm, okay. um, so it's, it's a bigger picture at that point. Right. Because what I'm looking at is, for one, how can we share tech across the different games? Because we had four titles at that time mm-hmm. in the studio, plus some other, you know, looking at new IP and, and where to go for the company for future and stuff like that. So that was that was a big jump. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds a lot like a lot different. Yeah. So that means you worked a lot at home to fulfill your joy of lots what of you emails, like to do. <laughs> lots yeah. of PowerPoints, lots yeah. of planning, um, lots of code review, just going through and yeah. digging into what all's actually there and validating is it still is are these tools still valid? Yeah. Um, are they even used anymore? Did Play you do a lot of hiring or was was it just using and utilizing who was already there? Um, like I once you some, got the I did pump. hiring as well, um, but that didn't last very long. Yeah, yeah. Me. Felt bad about some of the hires I made that then three months later yeah. we had to shut down, but that's the industry. You know, the only job that I actually left and and didn't go down with the ship over the career so far, mm-hmm. even up to Factor 5, was LucasArts, and that's because I got an opportunity to get have a big advance to go to Factor 5. Right. But that was the first time I actually – ever put in a here's my two weeks notice yeah. I'm going to another job um, the reason I had six credits on Amboli is because I was able to fulfill those roles and jump to the next spot and next spot until the film was finished yeah and that's when they were shutting down too at the end of the production to where they actually were had done big layoffs before we had actually finished the film because they were laying off who 
they couldn't. Yeah, and that's still that's still very common even yeah. in the film industry. Like yeah, people, so, everything's contract to, based now. I was able to stay on and move to this next role that was needed down the pipe. Yeah, because uh, fortunately, I'm found I'm a person that can kind of pick up things quickly and jump in and help out. And because it's really, it's it's less about knowing that particular thing and knowing how that thing works. Yeah. So that you can get in and the understanding and making sure I'm learning. Like when I was doing modeling, I could have just focused on the modeling, but I was talking to the guys in texture and seeing how they were doing textures and talking to the lighters and, ooh, they got this tool nuke. And I was playing around with that with compositing. And, you know, I just, I tinker. All those things have come full circle too. that software. Yes. Like Houdini and nuke and all, they are all, they're all getting integrated more into the development process of yes. video games Even as before games it was stuff, it was yeah. it was more like film commercials we need a quick effect or something made yeah, very, but now very like focused on vfx like houdini yeah but yeah they're for that procedural the proceduralness yeah. that gives you for like uh, level building and everything well the big it's thing cool. having jumped back and forth between the different industries like we're getting to a point where the work is the same mm-hmm. the output is just the difference you know, it's like no. we're still rendering frames. We're just doing it real time. Yeah. And now it's coming back around in VFX and stuff where they're using game engines to actually render full frames at a faster rate and can get the same quality that they like. You know, I think it was three scenes in Rogue One were rendered in Unreal. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about too much of that, that post because you can be like, oh, the engine can render it. We don't have to, like, layer it yeah. on too much but you also, other than for lighting and compositing. It's also faster feedback, right? Yeah. Like, usually, like, you're doing lighting and stuff, then you got to send it off to render, and yeah. you're talking 17 hours for this. For all these layers, you got to come back together. You get a faster feedback. I mean, when they did the Rogue One stuff, you know, having talked with a lot of the people, you know, it wasn't 60 frames a second. It was a minute a frame, but that's... A huge yeah. you can see mistakes huge faster cost savings yeah. yeah and you can iterate much faster yeah because you have to iterate a lot and when you're doing these things it's like oh just a little bit more through this section because of the rim we like the nose thing yeah. you can see that much sooner as something like that after the fact in the old school way would cost a lot of money yeah. a lot of time it's instead like of being just, like let's re- let's save this as another iteration yeah Rotate that 30 degrees, please. <laughs> Let's yeah. see what that looks and like. The thing is, with, with even the films they're spending all this money on, yeah, they're actually utilizing the stuff that made it cheaper, but now they're just putting more of it. Yeah. And so they get still spend the same amount of money, but they get more. Yeah. Right? Well, I think it's, uh, from my experience, it's one of those things like where it's like, hey, you get this amount of money. If you don't use it, yeah. you are going to lose it. <laughs> and when they do the next feature, you're going to get what the lower amount was. Yes. So I think I think there's a little bit of that going on, too. There, so. There's some of that. And there's also, you know, tax, you know, rebates and things yeah. like that for shooting yeah. in certain Incentives. places where you actually spend this money and you want to spend more because you get 50 percent of it back or whatever the incentives yeah. are in that for that film so they spend that 300 million knowing they're going to get 150 million back or yeah we're taking the whole team yeah we're all going <laughs> well well those you have to hire a certain percentage in yeah. that because it brings jobs right yeah and so they bring you there so that then you hire local talent as part of that yeah which i learned much later after working on teams that we flew around to do yeah. that and was like why don't we just bring our guys and they're like because we can't we gotta hire yeah. we have to hire local that's awesome dude that's awesome <laughs> So you went from Factor 5, Principal Technical Director, to MoCap Technical Director. So what, 
um, and Image Movers Digital is still around. So what? No. What? They're, they're not. not. They're not around anymore. Uh, Image Movers is around. Inge- okay, okay, okay. Image Movers Digital. Was that a uh, subgroup of the It was company? Robert Zemeckis's company he opened with Disney to do uh, his motion capture films. Okay. Um, where previously he, he used Sony Image Imageworks. Yeah. Was it Imageworks or Image? Image Movers? The, the Sony Pictures Image Movers, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, I that's cool. I didn't work with them, but he always okay. used them to do the films when he did like Beowulf and gotcha, gotcha. and Monster House and and it's and, like uh, you know, uh, what was it Polar Express and all right, those right, films. Right. And he just wanted to have it's like James more Cameron control. with Lifestorm. He has his own yeah, and, studio yeah, to do so stuff. So he this was Robert Zemeckis's one, and right. we did Christmas Carol and Marzine's Moms, hmm. um, which that was a uh, the the shift end up. Mocap, so I got kind of the mocap bug at LucasArts before I went to Factor Five. But while at Factor Five, uh, at the time, Image Moves Digital was testing with different companies to get to use a game engine as their real-time preview on the stage. Do you remember what it was at the time? What the the engine that they were looking it, at? We're, they were talking to Factor Five about using ours. That's how I got ah, the foot in the okay. door talking to them. Okay. Um, and when Factor Five shut down, we were doing we were still in testing mode with them, and then all that happened, and then they hired me. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Oh, so, so so they knew you already because they were using because I had that foot in the door. Oh, man, like, that's I nice. probably would have had more issues in between there of getting a a job. Um, networking like one hundred and one. With them, it was networking one hundred and one. That's yeah, good. Yeah, could yeah, you could you imagine like? Having a bad, uh, <laughs> uh, they came down to the studio yeah. to look at the engine. You're like, oh man, these guys aren't getting it, blah. blah. And now next yeah. thing you know, it's like, you guys looking to hire someone, you know? Yeah, that's good. It, that's good it was, that it went uh, well, it man. Was, you know, and I, you know, and I had a friend there that, that and I'd never worked with, but I'd met him mm. years before in Austin, and it yeah. just came roundabout. It just that's awesome. You know, there's a lot of that. You never, you you never know when someone you're working with is going to come back around, right? Yeah, Because this, this industry is very it's, big, but it's a very small industry. It's very small once you start, once you start it's a, it's getting out there and working with people. It's network yeah, small, even exactly. though it's really big and there's a lot of work and there's yeah. lots of people I've never met or worked with in the industry, but there's yeah, there's always a chance. That net, two or that, three, that every net company of the you network go to is going to be there. Yeah, yeah it, it branches out. And I think you can see that when you're on LinkedIn, when you're like, man, this guy knows this guy. And then you're like third third level down. You're yeah. like, oh, he knows all these people. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. So, But here you are working on creation of scripts and tools to aid in solving the motion capture data. Yeah. Um, was there anything that you can like remember where you're like, oh, this was like a nice shining moment for you? Because yes, you've already touched actually. mocap before, you said. And yeah. this was like a different. So at. Of course, when I was at LucasArts, it was just human stuff. Um, Christmas Carol was a lot of human work. Um, I didn't come in at the beginning of that. I came in partway through and and stepped in, and that was really my foray into really learning motion capture mm-hmm. and the process of turning the captured data into animation. Oh, okay. Right? I was just getting ready to ask, like, what do you mean by that when you say really learning it? Um, and so learning things like, solvers and you know you know motion builder versus using peel solve which is another plugin that mm. mocap solver which i love to death but but it's a and and it was a new learning experience the tools they hired me because i knew i could do the tools but the the what i was writing the tools for was a new 
experience for me, but it was still taking my experience, being able to write tools, scripts, pipeline, and all that, that I taught myself over the years and apply it to this mm -hmm. role. Um, and so that, that, that got me into the motion, motion capture side, which now I've done since, I guess, 2009. Have <laughs> you worked on um, like the facial motion capture stuff too as well? Yes. Or is that later, was that at this point or was that later uh, um, down the line? So on Marzi's Moms, I helped with some of that. And that's when I started learning like facts or facial action mm -hmm. coding system, which mm -hmm. is now becoming kind of a standard yeah. for doing face rigs because it's a universal language. It's a really well-defined universal language, which makes yeah. it apply when you're doing anything. There's certain right? defined yeah. poses and things um, you need to create. A lot of that, the shining moment there was, so with Marzi's Moms, we had crazy characters, right? Like. The aliens were a big challenge. We we're trying to figure out how we're we gonna do this and not spend millions on animators having to tweak a lot of data. Um, and so a big part of my job with with, with my buddy there um, was figuring out how we we're gonna solve mocap to these aliens that, you know, their torsos were tiny, not human length, and their legs were really long, and then they actually had like multifaceted limbs so they had the standard animal kind of insect extra haunch or whatever you want to call yeah, it that hind but that hind leg that hind, that extra bend like mid shin break yeah. kind of extra extra joint basically but they also still had full ankle ball toe like a human in the sense that that shape foot shape wasn't human but the bone structure mm -hmm. was this mixture of an animal leg plus a human foot system right. uh, a little more like a horse but still one extra joint to deal with and then the arms were real long so that they were very non-human proportionate and that was a big hard challenge and and the day that i kind of gave the first showing to the vfx soup and all of them it was you know we got to show them okay we figured this out and look how far we can take it just at the mocap level after all this work and trying to figure it out because they're really worried there's going to be lots of hands-on fixing for these characters and there was scenes in the in the film where it's using you know massive and crowd stands that you know it was full feature with aliens there constantly and lots of them and we had scenes with like 18 alien main characters that pile up and you know it's like <laughs> They were there a lot, so it was going to be very expensive if we couldn't figure out how to right. do that. And then once I got to show, like, here's just straight mocap through the solving pipeline. This is how it looks before it goes to animation and have the VFX soup and then, like, buy me shots that night and go, you saved the film. That's you awesome. know, they have someone say something like that. It's like, you know, that's... That's that awesome. awesome. So did you guys use like, because uh, I know you have to be really creative uh, once you start capturing stuff on a stage, if you have yeah. creatures and stuff involved, like, did you guys use like a lot of stilts or something or something to like make the arms that larger? That was what I made it hard was we didn't, we didn't do that. We yeah. did a little bit of maybe extra padding because they had really wide hips. Okay. But we, but we still didn't like go to the realm that they've started doing, which... Yeah. Which you've seen, like maybe Beauty and the Beast behind the scenes, and he's got the crazy, you know, cap suit, but he's like 
padded out to yeah i think the the big one was um how they did the planet of the apes one movies where they had those huge arms stilt yep. things that had the mocap tags projects to them. that they use those for other creatures in yeah that sense that's too. pretty cool and yeah it, it like proportionalizes a human figure where the hips would be where a gorilla's hips would be if they were just yeah. scaled up a little bit more because those things made your arms a lot longer yeah. and that's, that's pretty what, cool and in that sense that's when i started learning what i like to still refer to as the art of retargeting yeah which you know a lot of people don't understand how it gets to the animation side on the character and there's a real art to taking it from a human to something non-human even just human to human at mm-hmm. times you're especially in video games you you wind up with uh you have to use a single skeleton for every character but then they shoot with 30 different people that are all different proportions, different everything, and you have to retarget that animation data. Yeah. And it's not, doesn't just plop on. And Well, it's changed know. now. I know in Unreal, like, you can retarget pretty quick. I think they've started integrating yeah. that into their pipeline. But it's not about the ability to go, oh, retarget it. It's the ability to maintain that essence of what the performance is. Yes. No matter what the target is, and, and it really takes a lot of subjective you know, viewing and looking at it and knowing what to look for, knowing problems that will arise. So you mm-hmm. have to know, like, how's the solver work? How's this, the tool set that I have to use? How does it work underneath that I can, I can hack the system in that way, right, to get out of it what it really needs? Because there's stuff like the deep fake and things like that that are automated, but it's, it, it's, what what will always be there is the art direction and that subjective view to get it to look like what you want it to look or the art director wants it to look because you can just take it and go oh here's some mocap but it doesn't mean it's gonna be good right and so there's that big step between capturing the data there's lots of art pieces to this which is how to build the stage and make it nice and capture the data especially face data and all of that and then there's and the systems usually there's a lot of automation stuff there, a lot of data cleanup and stuff to get just the data out of it, and then there's that retargeting it to to the end result. It's even with props and stuff, you know, you got to build the prop physically so that it works out and make sure that you're getting a proper representation, or else the hands aren't going to be on it. Or there's a lot of things that are all retargeting in that sense. But doing you something like taking a human and how do you make this human on these stilts be a believable ape? Because mm-hmm. it's still something people know and you're viewing it and and they did a great job making it feel like it's an ape. Yeah. That just has this human essence to them rather than, oh, that's a guy in a suit. And, you know, it's like. And he did a great job on Planet of the Apes, though. Yeah. Man. That looks amazing. And that's that's that art of retargeting. I was going to ask you, you're talking about uh, building out sets. Do you get to uh, lay your hands on that process as well? Because that does affect mocapping and even yeah. the capturing of the mocap. Yeah, I, I did some of that at uh, Digital Domain, a lot of it at Digital Domain. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically what happened there was uh, we finished up Marzine's Moms and then Image Movers shut down. Image Movers Digital okay. shut down. Um, but they had built this amazing motion motion capture stage and right. facility down in Playa People Vista. were always using it, like yeah. going, they don't go in there. And so 
when when they shut down, that's when I took a roll over at Naughty Dog. So my first stint at Naughty Dog worked there twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Wait, so wait. Okay, this first time, because I really love Naughty Dog products as much many gamers do. Was this the time when you got to touch... The, their great games they're known for, like, or was this when was I this not a time? Because I know you went there twice. Uncharted three, okay, and the beginning of Last of Us, okay. Um, at this point, they were yeah. already working on those projects. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah, because they were in production for yeah. like almost what five years. I well, think, they were. For they had just just shipped Last of Us two or Uncharted two. Okay. Okay. Um, and we're rolling in Uncharted three, so okay. I came in on that, and then we were developing Last of Us. Congratulations, man. Those are and great games. Those are great games you. to be a part of, that. dude. But what happened was Digital Main bought the Image Movers Digital MoCap ah. facility. Was that the, is that the one that's next door to where they are now? Uh, it is the one where they are now. In Playa yeah, yeah, Vista. yeah. That in was Vista. the MoCap facility. They ah. moved everything from Venice into okay. there and actually okay. built it out and turned it from this huge MoCap facility into has the motion capture there, but it's their actual Yeah, house that's that's now, where I was right? at when I was there, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you were there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Surprised we didn't No, it was different times. Time. It was yeah. different times. Yeah. But yeah, I, I got there when they were at that facility. Yeah, so they called me up and hired me back to come help get the stage back up and running. Yeah. Um, and then I actually did, there is when I spent. <coughs> You're all right. You're all right. You want some water? Yeah, some water? Grab a little water here. Yeah, man. Um, um, at that point was when, in the motion capture realm, that's when I started learning more of the on-set stuff. Okay. When I worked at IMT, it was post, uh, so not okay. on the stage. Yeah, I, I started doing, helping you know, with putting on markers and mm-hmm. face markers and learning face mocap and that process, but I didn't do. I wasn't doing a lot on the set it was all behind the scenes right. and and the post work once i captured it came to us we did the solving retargeting and all of that um but a digital domain yeah i was on the set and learned how to build the mocap stage and learn the cameras and yeah. and really get the whole thing yeah <laughs> while still also writing tools and pipeline and and all of that so that was wasn't a very wasn't a specific role it was just we have a mocap stage. We're gonna make mocap. We're gonna do it. And yeah. We did like thirty something projects. Well, yeah, I think that was their meat and potatoes. Once they moved to that area, yeah. of all the projects coming in, it was to do the mocap work, or some, or someone renting the stage to do their mocap work there. So, and so I learned kind of the whole, the whole business of mocap. Yeah, like very extensively and more detailed. That's well, awesome. I was learning bits and pieces over the years. I wasn't learning it as much as I did there because I wasn't doing it every day. Yeah. I, I didn't put in my 10,000 hours till then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so now, you know, and I love mocap and we'll probably do it for a long time. But but with being in the group I'm in now, it's not just motion capture. Like I said, it's any real world acquisition, right? So if we're doing scanning or we're doing... It's everything that's related that stuff, to that. Of taking and digitizing real world stuff. Yeah which is how you kind of look at motion capture. That's what we're, yeah. the core of it is, yeah. That's awesome. So so you're saying this time at Naughty Dog, you were only there to help facilitate and help them get things back in order? No, at, at Naughty point? Dog, I worked as a character TD okay. doing rigging on Uncharted 3 and, okay, okay. and some of the preliminary prep 
pipeline prep, but then Digital Domain called me and so I had the uh, mocap bug, so I went back to Digital Domain and stood up the stage. And gotcha, so it's this part right spent here. spent two years there. Okay. It says a year and 11 months, but I don't think that's right. Yeah. I think, so, I, I, think I don't think it has the right dates in there, but yeah. So when you went to Naughty Dog, was this when you did your, because I remember you had that talk at GDC. Was this it when was you did the talk or was the next one? After Digital Domain. Okay. On my second stint, I went back as a mocap TD. Okay. Because they, they had done mocap since Uncharted and kept pushing on the mocap side as a tool set. Well, let's go back. Let's go back real quick. I don't want to yeah. jump ahead. There's okay. a lot of st good stuff here. So we already know you went through the character, technical director, mocap technical, but here you went through as a lead solver. What's, what do you do as a solver? And for people that don't know what that is, so like solving, what is a solver? Solving is the, the pieces of taking mocap data and digitizing it to animation data and then retargeting on the characters. Mm. So there's two phases of solving because the retargeting, you're also solving this skeleton onto that skeleton, but then you're also at the core of what solving is, is once you capture all the marker cloud, um, you're, you're kind of fitting the skeleton and applying constraints that then it solves, you know, mathematically mm -hmm. how to keep, how to move that skeleton to keep it. Keep the limitations and rotations together. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the solving piece. Um, but then I was working on all the mocap pipeline, yeah, which led me to, you know, getting into being a mocap TD or technical director. So senior mocap pipeline engineer. What uh, the engineer being on there is kind of throwing me off. So what's the difference between the, that and and being the technical director? The technical director is usually in most places is the lead engineer. Mm, okay. Um, I wasn't the lead engineer, but I was the lead solver for all the post mocap gotcha. work. Gotcha. But okay. I was a mocap pipeline engineer, so which for that I was writing all pipeline tools and starting yeah. my foray of less of just focused on solving mocap and working on tools on you know how we track markers and how we. So were you there? Did you help them build out what the stage is today? Mm -hmm. Like with all the camp, that cage with the cameras, all the, and then the V cam setup that they have today. Uh, I, I worked on an old version. Okay. Um, when I left, they had hired in another guy into my role who then uh, started focusing more on their VR gotcha. stuff that yeah. it went to. We, we were experimenting at the time with it, but we, it wasn't like part of our production. Hmm. So when I left was right, at the rollout of rolling into Jungle Book, and yeah, and they still show that there, like like a stuff. Yeah. premiere piece. So when I was they at do the beginning of that, and then when when I left, that was when they had the whole shift from Digital Domain 2.0 to the bankruptcy to 3.0. Mm, yes, the rebuilding. I literally, of it. my last day was before they announced bankruptcy the following Tuesday. It was a Labor Day weekend. That was my last day. Yeah. Because Naughty Dog called me up and go, hey, you're doing mocap now. We we, we want to bring our mocap in-house and have a lot more insight into it and control on it. Right. And so they called me up because that's what I was doing over at Digital Domain and had me come back, which I had loved working at Naughty Dog and the projects. And so I was like, yeah. And yeah. it was at the point where they were going through some problems at Digital Domain. So I was kind of, it was right, perfect timing. Because they're, I mean, obviously they're they're owned by Sony. So they have access to the Sony stage. Like, yeah, we, time, right? we utilize so, it. I wasn't no. shooting the mocap. I was um, doing, I was coming in and owning the solving retargeting pipeline. Right. 
so that so that they could go shoot the mocap so and it could it be smooth as fast as they want or prioritize it right. easier how they want because they were using Sony's VASG group, which is kind of their central group, like our EA Create, and so you have they're tied to also other productions and you know and they wanted to have this like super tool. <laughs> so for when you were at Naughty Dog the second time, so um. I do have questions about the the rigging because I remember you guys came out and and um, shared everything you did on the project where you had like I think three different types of rig layouts or skeletal layouts on top of Nathan Drake, yeah. and you guys were like uh, you had the mocap pass and then that was helping drive but influenced also by another pass for like the procedural stuff and then another pass for like what you want to do the hand kill and then you blended it all together so like yeah. were you a part of developing that did you develop that you know or was that something that you helped that was already going on when you got I, there i took on working on that after judd Smantoff, who wrote it or originally mm -hmm. for uncharted 2 i think okay. was when they he kind he kind of developed that mocap skeleton driving the rig live and giving you this layer before Maya had layers, right, mm -hmm. is the design of that. And they still use it to this day because it's a great way to have a rig. Um, and it does actually simplify a lot of stuff of retargeting that animation data onto the the animation rig controls. Um, we, we had written a new version of that right before I left that was working on Last of Us 2 and Lost Legacy when I left. And that was, that was all proprietary, right? Like, that's not... Okay. It's all Maya stuff, and okay, you know, and it's just utilizing a lot of stuff and some custom plugins and things like that. But you know, driving it all just, you know, it's in Maya, and mm. you know, there's a lot of just using nodes and this and that. But there were custom plugins developed to, to identify and transfer information from just a base skeleton to animation controls that are IKFK switching. And how do you, you know, if you want, you can say, hey, I want it all FK arms for this section of animation and it bakes it over to the controls and then you can layer animation on top of that. Um, it's a great design. It, it's still a design I I kind of write my own versions of anyways in that sense because it's a great way to utilize mocap and an animator friendly control rig without using like the human IK rig or the mm -hmm. yes, something that's that very built definitely around. Definitely don't use human IK rig. The human IK rig it has a purpose, it has but it's purpose not for like it is for production. editing mocap, but yeah. it's not for helping get you to that artistic yes. level, right? That's correct. Um, I've seen some people that swear by it that also are very great hand animators too, but but it lacks all the extra features if you want to layer stuff yeah. on it that's not part of the performance that you captured. What are some of the most difficult things that you had to go through when you guys were coming up with that, you know, three skeletal layout like that you had to overcome the biggest thing is in mocap and human movement people hyperextend, and just a simple ik arm rig doesn't mm -hmm. <laughs> right? right so you're having to try it won't even let you like it right IK, out the box with IK, IK flips yeah. because it's yeah, designed um, some of that is by developing one kind of prejudging to where you're actually changing the pole vector and information and, and preferred angle on like the joints so that it will hyperextend with that same IK chain. You just are basically flipping the pole vector direction 
so the arm doesn't flip, mm -hmm. but you hold it and it and it does hyperextend. Um, but the trickier part with that is if you don't want to have that because you have like runtime IK that can't do that or something like that, which you wind up with all the climbing and and all that stuff we did for you know they did through the whole Uncharted series. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you've got to design the rig, and that was part of my retargeting rig was how to not destroy the data and get that performance onto the animation rig or onto the mocap skeleton and actually remove that hyperextensions and things that the body's actually doing that we can't actually use in the game. Stuff like in even in humans, like all your joints, they flex and stretch by centimeters, some of them by two to three centimeters, like your shoulder area, the whole section, if you pull on it, it'll, you know, your arms now Mm -hmm. six centimeters longer across the board and you don't usually have translation data in your joints in the game mm -hmm. and that's part of that art of retargeting is how to pull that off um, with the animation rigs it's then how to retarget it onto a control rig that's another art of retargeting where it's not you're taking the same base skeleton but you're now driving things like ikfk switching and can't have hyper extensions and can't um you know, as, as locked to a single axis, which, you know, human can bend their elbow in multiple directions. Yeah, flexes. And flexes. And then IK also doesn't like multi-axis in the middle, mm -hmm. but being able to have both. Um, those are the bigger challenges is how to keep the performance that you're spending all this money capturing and turning into data as motion capture mm -hmm. and then still having an animator-friendly rig that the animators want to use and and can then also do their artistic passes That's and awesome. so those those challenges are hard on any rig when you build it you yeah. know and the best thing with that is to work closely with the animators especially as a as a character td or rigger rigging td you know you work closely with the animators and make a tool they want to use well, I know that changed a lot for the industry, like when you guys shared all the information, like how people just developed things. The next thing that you guys did that um, shed some light on it was your facial setup that you have for Ellie and Joel. Yeah. Um, that was like breathtaking. Um, was a lot of that uh, mocap hand keyed? I know there was some um, discussions and articles where they were saying like they did some, they had all those joints in there so they can hand key what they needed for certain yeah. parts, but then there were other parts that were most likely uh, Well, we didn't do we didn't do facial mocap to Uncharted 4. Okay. Um, and that was a lot of me convincing Amy and the animators that it's yet another tool yeah. that they can use. Like, it took a long time for them to shift off of hand keying to using Well, it's a little scary, too, right? when you do... It's scary, yeah. When you do... Uh, when you even talk about facial mocap, it's a little scary because now you're just, like you said, opening this Pandora's box of, like... You're gonna get what you're gonna get, and then it's gonna be painful to to try to fix it. Yeah, so. but that's where you know things like animation layers, all yeah. those all those extra tools that were coming into Maya at the time to help with that. Because in in mocap data, you've got baked animation. There's no nice curve from right. here to there. Although there's some new stuff coming out that I've seen some papers about that I want to try to see if I can implement. Right, that's you know that's taking like dense animation curves and actually losslessly yeah. converting them into controllable animation curves that you'd want, even like two 
poses, right? Like, so if you wanted to say, I want, I want a actual whole body pose for every 10, you know, minimum 10 frame space and have it still keep all the stuff in between. There's tools and papers I've seen where they're doing that stuff to an extent. I haven't seen like it used in production yet, but I'd like to actually take yeah. and write it. And it's actually it gotten production. not too bad in Maya <laughs> if you do like your uh, Euler, the Euler filter first to make sure yeah. you're not getting any weird flipping but or like that hitching that happens. But then um, the curve, the curve editor, when you yeah. use that, it it's pretty good. Like... Um, yeah, it handles it much better. I it know. does. It, in the they beginning, did a big it did. Speed it. improvement in 2019, latest as well. Yeah. That for the dense data, because yeah. they did the shift, I think, in 2017 to the new animation curve editor, and mm-hmm. it got kind of chuggy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It used to. It used to not work well at all. Like you would just be like, "Oh, this looks nothing." Like you just have to revert or undo what you just did because you're like, it doesn't even look like the performance anymore because yeah. it was like just doing math and stuff. Was, yeah, it was just going. Okay, every couple frames, delete, 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 as opposed to actually looking what the curve's doing and yep. then trying to preserve, oh, high points, How low points. How can the tangents be tweaked so that exactly. you get that proper curve yes. and, and all that? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff. There's actually some new filters in there that um, I think like a new Butterworth filter and another filter for Anim curves for mocap data Yeah, that, that I helped introduce that to be put in there at one point. Is um, Motion Builder, I want to ask, is Motion Builder a huge part of your pipeline? Um, or do you have something else from out of your 3D package going into um, getting what you want by, by um, either stitching things together? Yeah, so so at Naughty Dog, we use Maya. Okay. Like there wasn't really any Motion Builder usage as much as I would have liked to add it to the tool. And some animators oh, you pref- would you have preferred it. it. To, to first do what I like to call motion editing right which is and there are people that are very defined as motion editors versus animators and Weta mm-hmm. has that distinction too where their job is to take the mocap and keep it and and do all the tweaks that you need to do to get it back to that performance right they're not it's not there's some artistic there but the artistic is around looking at the footage and making sure the hands placed on the Yeah, it's like stitching foot and plants. So you're, you're really yeah. trying to bring the bring the data to closer to the performance cuz it's not never a full 100% thing yeah. especially when you're doing retargeting from like a human to an ape or some weird creature with like multiple leg joints and yeah. stuff like that. There's those are challenges and you can get it so far but there's just no way mathematically to yeah. <laughs> to solve it all out, right? Um, and that's where a motion editor comes in, and they're taking that data. But using now Maya has human IK and stuff in there too, so it's a bit easier to just do it in Maya too now because without shifting packages. But Motion yeah. Builder was built from motion capture editing, like the right. whole tool, and it's and that's all a part of the Autodesk yeah. family of stuff now yeah. too. So, but it but like at night I wouldn't use it. That's good to know. Um, and being in the central group now, we work with all the game teams in EA, right? So that's we use Motion Builder in our pipeline to do retargeting and stuff, but mm. it's not necessarily, you know, 
but like face solving and stuff we're using in Maya and we're you know we're jumping around through tools but it comes down to the game teams too some of them are like exclusive motion builders some are like Maya all the ways you know some it it you know the the usage in our pipeline is motion builder for pieces of it but we have custom scripts and we have all kinds of stuff stuff that we're doing before it even goes to 3d land and you know it's a <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline for that yeah that's awesome that's pretty cool so after naughty dog you went to dice yes working on so you were there for a year so so dice is ea yes dice is ea scanning rigging animation what dice put out a lot of like a fps yeah battlefield yeah so is that when you i went there, there it or? was for a game that wound up being canceled okay um and so at the time the the big reason for leaving naughty dog you know loved the projects loved the company loved the work but i was tired i was surprised man when i saw that you left i was like what why like cause, you know and it's it's just know. the the industry it, there's crunch and there's lots of it and, yes they definitely and, have crunch. you know at my age now i'm in my 40s yeah. and yeah. you know i've done this 29 years now so yeah. it's it it's it was just one of those i had to think of my health let's talk about that man so uh crunch like i know a lot of teams now a lot of studios now and we even see it with projects that are coming out are getting uh pushed back because they're like, hey, we don't want to crunch the team. We're going to delay our release before like a year or so so we can make sure we get everything done. But, you know, crunch is still very, very existing in um, the GTA family, like uh, Red Dead. They crunch a lot, but they crunch a lot and then end up letting go of their teams. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to crunch, like what are some of the things that um, – other than staying there late and supporting and all our stuff, like, do you feel crunch is unnecessary or do you think crunch has a place or do you think crunch is just um, the means of poor planning? I think, I think crunch, when you talk about crunch, I, I see some, there's some different varying realms of overtime and there's some overtime that if you really have the passion you know, that last few weeks, you're going to have some overtime. And I just see it as overtime. Like the last few weeks of production to get that thing out the door and get that extra oomph and cherry on top and make sure that it is a product you're happy with. Because right? you already know you got a gym and you're like, ooh, let's just let's polish this. But, but this could be, and you know, and yeah. you're, you're doing this polish. Feature creep extreme. Yeah. <laughs> um, crunch is that long-term mm. drag of hours upon hours upon hours six months to a year that's that's really really rough like i would say even over a month is pretty long crunch Mm -hmm. you're in crunch land if it's over a month um especially when it's not the end of the project (laughs) um you know and this isn't really towards night dog or anything it's been the industry since i've been in it like uh, lots of times i've had pulling 72 96 hour shifts mm. you know trying to get hit a milestone was that like sleeping that. at work or sleeping in the car that was not sleeping that was oh being up God. that many hours to hit a milestone right you know uh but for me it's i think crunch especially long term is 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 a symptom of poor planning Correct answer. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. It's, that's the correct answer. Um, 
I think there is a fine line of what you're saying. At the end of a project, when you already know you got something that's like golden, yeah. that's one thing. But then there's that other thing where you, you do have those passionate people who will stay. And you see them on your teams everywhere you go. Like, the, yeah. why is this guy here till 9 a lot or of times 10? It, you know, it's a different lot of times it's, it's that peer pressure yeah. too, Yeah. right? Where it's not really necessary, but you feel like odd man out if the other guys are you've done your work right ah uh, i see what but you mean but then the others are still there long term on their task or something and you just you kind of oh man that's an that camaraderie that's an experience that thing pressure. though that's an experience thing though cuz I, I i can see how if you are new to the industry and you're like oh I notice around me, everyone's here. I'm going to be here. You get that Las Vegas vibe where, you know, yeah. everything's lit all nice. You don't even know what time of day it is outside anymore. Yeah. It's that. But with the experience, um, well, I can only speak for myself because right now I feel like if I already met my joy fulfillment of like, hey, I want to get these tasks done, I got them done within the day, Yeah, there's no need for me to stay late. Yeah. Now, if, now if I'm working on a task with someone else, and I noticed they're staying late, and we're like, hey, we're, you want to get this in tonight? All right, I'm down with that. I could do that, you know? But again, I yeah, don't think that's that crunch. Stuff, I that's not that's crunch. Not crunch. Yeah, that's that's, not crunch. That's, that falls into the realm of some overtime yeah. to get it where Even though it's not paid it. overtime, it's overtime, it, yeah. It's pride overtime. It, yeah. It's extra hours to yeah. to put that polish on. Yeah. Because some stuff, it, it really is passion. Like, a lot of the long hours we worked at Naughty Dog and it shows in the little details. Most of that stuff wasn't like in the design. It was yeah. it was passionate people wanting to do these these all these little bits and details yeah. and it's all in the details and that's what makes it. But some of but when you wind up with everyone's there long hours for days and months and you know, that's poor planning. Yeah. And yep. and it it shows like uh the dedication and the passion that's in those projects. I Man, those are beautiful games. Yeah. Beautiful but, games. But Ugh. it is it's crunch in that sense of how long yeah. that went on. Yeah. You know, and but but that's not just a symptom of poor planning, it's a symptom of how the industry has shifted too with yeah. live service, DLC. It's like there's no break anymore. It's the like, consum media consumption like, of people. Oh, we, we went gold. And you're still pushing because now you got to have like a day zero patch or a, yeah or this next patch or DLC started. You're and chasing got, the, the and players. You're chasing that. Make sure they have stuff to play. Um, and then stuff like doing, being part of multiple projects at once, which being the mocap TD and Idaga was. Yeah. So, so I was doing all the mocap for anything we were doing. So as long yeah. as there was project, I was working. <laughs> yeah. You know. So you went from dice to virtual humans. Virtual Humans Technical Art Director, SEED. What is SEED? So SEED is EA's uh, research group okay. that they started uh, a couple years ago. Um, and they're spread globally. And they started out of Stockholm. And initially, when they announced, they were called Frostbite Labs. Oh, I know but the Frostbite then, engine. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't part of Frostbite, so that was confusing with the oh, okay. company. So, but also, they wanted to really define this group as a research group for EA. So that's what they made SEED, which stands for the Search for Extraordinary Experiences Division. Mm. Um, and so they have like people focus on machine learning and neural network stuff and people focused on... Oh, so not so much IPs, just technology. It's, all, it's research into emerging technologies okay. and, and where to go, right? Um, and we had a group that was called the Virtual Humans Group. So when I was with DICE and that project got canceled, 
that I was on. Mm -hmm. It was, it just made sense for me to then continue what they hired me to do, which was develop, you know, push their characters, push face rigs, push all of that. This was the right group to be in to do it. Yeah, because virtual virtual humans is more along that uh, Gemini man type thing, right? Where it's like a full body. There's a lot of that. It, it should have been virtual characters, yeah. digital characters. Yeah, you know, but there was a lot of push on how to push the human development further because we have a lot of humans in our games. We have mm -hmm. sports and all that, and that's always going to be humans. And it's you know, it's <laughs> we have that challenge, and it's still a challenge. Um, and there was a lot of experience of people that is taking your experiences in film and how to bring that into games, especially as the work and the level of quality is getting very even because the technology is catching up, right? I don't know what these next-gen consoles are going to have, but right. you know, it's going to be a point of where I said the workflows are It's going to be like Black Mirror. Work. We're all going to get that little puck thing in <laughs> <Yeah>. our temples. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. that was such a great episode. <laughs> um, but it's... But that was still with EA, so I was still I just moved okay. within EA to the C research group, um, and okay. they were doing a lot of vision change and stuff that that happened, and they had had the technical director role at Capture Lab or EA's Capture Group. So um, was the virtual humans? Was that a, a lot more focused on the scanning of people and the like? Because you were mentioning how like how to automate processes mm -hmm. how to get better data so it was it was focused on how we can scan and actually get better data so you know things like the light stage at ICT that used on a lot of films things like that that we've been looking into technologies that realm and incorporating and you know and how to really bring in how to make our characters more realistic our humans mm -hmm. But at the same so, time, there was effort in just how do we make our characters better, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of the learnings we can learn from scanning people and di diving into how the light actually works on the skin and reflectance and your specularity and all that information that can be applied to other characters too mm -hmm. to just make them more lifelike, even though they're maybe made-up characters in a world of who knows what. Yeah. There's still, if you're going for this realism in your world, which all sports titles and stuff, you know, it's very towards that realm. So a lot of focus was there on how we can keep pushing that quality. So if you're, if you're playing as that player, which you spend all this money scanning and creating, you want that player and how to make that even closer. So you're looking at like stuff like they did with Gemini Man or even just... Uh, I guess I've heard there's rumors of James Dean coming in a movie or something. Right? I saw like, that. I saw that on that, uh, that the kind internet. of effort on how you how you can and bring that into games. I think they might be deep faking that though, man. I yeah, think they will we'll because he's got a lot, a huge collection of, of films. Was, but most of his stuff was black and white, so that might be. True. Yeah, but they might even make the film black and white. Yeah. I think there's another film coming out that's black and white with Defoe and some other person. But it's all in black. It's called Lighthouse something, and yeah. it's it looks it looks amazing. But it's all shot in that old school like yeah. grainy black and we'll white. We'll see what they do with it. But yeah. and, and if they go deep fake, then get on them using a tool that's actually progressed yeah. to a point it can be used at a larger scale, right? Yeah. Like, but if you look at even that, the hours and info on the one with the comedian that was doing all the impressions, it was crazy amounts of hours on GPU time 
to yeah, but you gotta that, right? you gotta think about it like even if it is a crazy amount of hours, that's one guy. Imagine like a full studio working on capturing as many facial expressions out of his old films because he's gonna look. Right, I guarantee he's gonna I, look like no he did in the doing past. That manually, that's yeah. the thing, right? The the thing is, they they have you know, usually have scrubbers and things mm-hmm. like that that are tools that go yeah. into the films, and they're just pulling this pulling face out it, yeah. and. You know, you're getting some input from people to giving kind of a lot of what you do with machine learning where you it's punishment reward system, yeah. right? And that's how it learns. It's like it wants the rewards. Yeah. You gotta come up with what those rewards are, right? So and this it sometimes though it's people going that that's a face, right? Yeah. Or that's that person definitely and approving it so that then the training model gets built up and it is that person stuff and you don't accidentally get this other face that was in there. Yeah. <laughs> I think what the face what face tracking is now though, I think it they could do something that would be automated in his old films. Like you pop the disc in, you oh, have yeah. it being read by something and then you just he's on sh- on screen, you're like, Marquee, boop and that thing will just track. Yeah, but they have things that actually just go scrub through the frames and find the face mm. and pull it out. And then you yeah. kind of need someone to go, Yeah, that's him. Yeah. You know, when that it has is a cactus. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is that is a cactus that yeah. happens to look like a face, <laughs> yeah. or that's a wall socket. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but of course, those things are getting smarter too. But yeah. <laughs> it'd be like those images. What was that? It it wasn't Google. What was that? Where like it took an image of like a dog and like something, and it swap, puts in right? the yeah the face swap thing. But then it's all like colored, like you're on like an acid trip or oh, something that's, like that. That's uh, the was it the deep Im- deep image? No, de- uh, that's creepy. Yeah, so, uh, deep mind. Deep mind. Yeah. Okay, okay. And that that is a bit more ab- abstract thing, yeah. right? But but that's kind of a basis of a lot of, of the learning stuff where yeah. it came from. It's you know, if you look at it, it's like you believe that's a frog on acid driven out and whatever, right? Like it, it it's that basis. It's it's where it's evolved from. Is a lot of that stuff, the deep yeah. mind and these neural networks that yeah. then they're actually because they've been doing a lot of that stuff for a long time. It's just a matter of now it's like at a point where we have plenty of GPUs and things actually train it in a more reasonable fashion. I have yeah. a really good buddy of mine, JP Lewis, who, you know, back in the eighties was writing these things, you know, but he could never solve them because the time it took to solve that giant algorithm or there, the computer time was, yeah, you know, years, right, yeah. to solve that, and so it was. There was a lot of that where it's now come to the point where we have machines in the cloud and ways that we can mass solve this big problem, this big math problem, mm-hmm. faster, right? And it's still hours, yeah. like, like that. It's doing it still it, takes right? a long time, like, yeah. and a lot of cloud usage. Tell so you that. I want to ask, since you've touched on working on a plethora of films and games, um, what is the most challenging? I know they're they're slowly, you know, convening to be kind of the same production-wise of what things you need to keep in mind and what processes you 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 use. But yeah. what do you find the most challenging? Is it working on a film or is it working on uh, a game um i think for a long time i felt it was more challenging working on film because you had a higher quality standard you had mm-hmm. to reach to um but now that like i said like i've just found there's a bit more challenge in games because the challenge now in games is 
to hit what we're doing in film, but not like what we were doing in film 10 years ago. It's like what we're doing in films now. And that's where it becomes, I guess, a, a more in-your-face challenge, right? Mm-hmm. But I would say to do the work up until you render it, it's pretty much the same work. Yeah. You get <laughs> you more know, eyes on it, too, though, instead the, of just gamers. Uh, if that if that makes sense. So, like, I think uh, in the yeah, gaming community, they're a lot, they're a lot f- more forgiving because they're like, oh, I, I understand you got 100 players in this map. I know, and I know what forums you know. you've been on, but I tell you, <laughs> I tell you. Um, I mean, they want it high quality, too, but I think when you talk about a film, people can easily look at a film and go, mm, that doesn't look like it's going to be that good, as opposed to a game where you're like, the gameplay is really shining in this, and they don't really care about the fidelity it de- of the art. It depends art, you know? on the thing, you know, like... As much as there's Naughty Dog lovers, yeah. it's the same thing. There's there's a broad spectrum, and the thing is, in the gamer community, I feel they're much more vocal mm. yeah. online about it. Yeah, and they that shows more. up when you're playing online. And there's this whole online world, whereas in film, it's still not that right. It's well, it's I, a it's a human personal experience with yeah. going to see a film. Or with your family, but it's not like you're going with the whole community. There is a lot of reviews and stuff like that, yeah. but and there are are certain ones where people just oh hammer it, but yeah. like every game. But with the media, like though, <laughs> the different medium that those two uh, entertainment venues are on, yeah. the movie's not going to change. If the movie's already out, it's not going to change unless yeah. you knew something about it while it was in production. Much like right. Sonic the Hedgehog, for yeah. example. They put out a, a trailer. People were like, boo, like, we're not going to go see it. Oh, God. Every, okay, yeah, let's, let's remake Sonic, yeah. right? That's different, and that's kind of unheard of, which is happening more often these days. But in games, with it being that experience where it's a user-based experience, you yeah. know, they know a patch can come out. Yes. Um, DLC can come yeah. out that would change things. So I can see why they're more vocal. But in a movie setting, it's like, Mm, they took a shot, you know. Yeah, it's entertaining, but you know, it, yeah, it's not gonna. They're not gonna make a sequel. Well, the big one is like depending upon who the game developer is and stuff like that. If you're looking at like Sony or you're looking at Microsoft to have their own consoles, right? The big goal is to sell consoles, mm-hmm. right? Whereas film, it's like your your film has to make its money back and make profit for the investors or see ya, right? Yeah. And so that it's. It's a, it's an always like working at no matter what company you're at, when you make a film, you're it's like you're always at that startup, yeah, waiting hitting that next milestone. Make sure we make our money to keep going on the next one. Yeah. Whereas games, it's like there's a lot of different aspects of how you can monetize with that game, right? It isn't just about the game. It could be some toys. It could be this, and there is some of that tie into well, movies. With still film, go that but, way too. But games with are toys. more with it, right? Like. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, like that's a huge expected piece, right? Because yeah. it's franchises you're building. Where not every film is trying to be a franchise, right? No, there's there's lots of them that are franchises. I don't think they made toys for Schindler's <laughs> List. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't know if you'd want to have that toy. Right, that, like, that that would be pretty messed up, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, but but there are some oh, movies, man. and I think it, you're right. I think it it does go more towards when you know those family experience type films like all the the disney franchise and all those are like toys yeah. and other experiences and other things you can purchase outside of it yeah yeah but but there's there's a lot it's just 
and that's what the growing kind of of uh, environment of what video games are now. It's like there is an expectation of if there's something wrong with it, you're gonna fix it. Yeah. Right, and that's a hard challenge. Yeah. No, the. I try to stay away from having to deal with that challenge. My job is to make sure the stuff gets done, right? But but it is um, more you learn over time. But, yeah. but it is, that, that's where there's a lot more challenge in games because with film, the film's got to be good. People got to like it and go see it and then get it on digital and get it on streaming and, you know, pay for that. Where with the game, it's like, problem is is you could make a great game but then there's nothing wrong with it and that's going to be the focus yeah. because it can be fixed yep and so there's a lot of i think with all the feedback which yeah if it's broken there's bugs yes raise it and do that stuff and let us fix it but i think the people doing the work are getting left in the dust of when one thing's wrong with it over what they have actually spent years creating I think it's a less rewarding mm. at times yeah. when you put out a new game because everyone remembers the bad thing no matter how many good things there were. Yeah. And it stands out more, right? And so you get overshadowed a lot in the games industry because if there's something broken or a bug or something crazy, that becomes a focus. And there's a lot less praise, I would say, overall from the community for the game that's come out and but definitely but yeah, and it's crazy but how some of it is most people that find something wrong and that bugs them are usually more vocal because it's not a showstopper worry about something wrong yeah. then and it, it's in anything like complaining at a restaurant like yeah something's wrong you 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 complain and try to get it fixed but you don't always thank the people yeah, right. and, and and a lot of people, it's not about getting it fixed. It's about that ego of like, I found something wrong, yes. and I want everyone here to know that I found something yes. wrong. That's the I think that's the biggest issue yeah. uh, when it comes to games because but the online community as it is now, it's, yeah. it's, it's a a lot of it is about that is bringing the attention from something mm -hmm. and jumping on to try to monetize that for yourself or some sort of gain for yourself. Yeah, and that that's a lot of the community online has always yeah. been right like that's not i don't think that's ever gonna go away yeah. every i think online makes it where more people can become critics as opposed to back in the day when you had your cisco and ebert's where it's like this guy's a professional yes. critic you know um so yeah, yeah that's never now everyone's change. a critic yeah and they get a, a platform to voice to do it, it yeah yes. <laughs> so now from uh seed you are now where you are currently um yeah which Crazy is, man, that's a that's a wild ride. I just I've learned some new EA. things about you tonight. Yeah, I'm still at EA. Yeah, um, been there for almost four years. Yeah, I've just transitioned through a couple roles. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's just kind of been my whole career is is filling a role that needs to be filled mm -hmm. and making sure I'm the right I have the right skill set to do it. Mm -hmm. And as because sometimes when you're working in a role you start seeing there's a problem over here. You know, you're not directly involved in, but you can help. And that's kind of how it's kind of happened too over time is like, oh, you know, I noticed this thing that you had. I've got, I'm a problem solver. That's what I do, right? Yeah. But I would say the 
it, the biggest thing is as like a technical director or tech artist or anything like that, the way I like to describe my job the best is I spend every day making myself obsolete. Mm. Right? So that then I can move on to do bigger, better things. So my job That's is... That's a different way of looking at it, yeah. You know, like I'm a problem solver. I write tools that then automate stuff so then I'm not spending all my time redoing that stuff. So... When it comes to the maintaining of the tools, do you just have a, another set of people that would do that, or is that something you would have to take on? If, it, if it's a tool I developed, I would keep that support okay. until it gets to a point of, okay, now no it's time. only like red phone support for yeah, this yeah. thing. Now we've moved on to new developments and new, new, new stuff, but I always try to make sure I'm, I'm supporting what I've developed. But now I manage like a team, mm -hmm. so it's more of them handling the current needs while I look at the big picture down the road stuff. Well, here's a good question. Uh, so, <coughs> where you are now, we don't need to go back in the past, but where you are now, how large is the team that's utilized for something like that? For what you do and to maintain what it is that you provide for the studio? So right now we're have six uh, tech artists on my team that are, but then I'm also not managing, but what we call stakeholders in the sense of, because we have our central tools and technology mm -hmm. group, which they develop bigger tool sets, you know, from the group I'm managing. We do some big tools, but we rely on these software engineers in the other group to maintain and develop on like very large tools mm -hmm. so that we can focus on, you know, our roadmap of, which is huge as it is, like we can't, we'd lose a whole person probably just to maintain one of our big custom proprietary capture tools as we call it, right? Um, that that really requires a software engineer too, to an extent because it's dealing with databases and this and that, that's really software engineering work. Um, not to say we aren't writing big tools in our staff, but we're maintaining, and a lot of it, we're also maintaining the support day-to-day -day on production, some mocap shooting, things like that. Um, you know, checking the cameras and, and the systems and cables, and but we're also designing and building our own hardware for scanning and things like that. We showed off a custom portable scan rig at CES last year in the Canon booth this past year in Vegas. Like Canon asked us to come show it off. We weren't like selling it or doing scanning. We That's just awesome. brought the rig and showed it. And that was kind of a big milestone for for companies like EA in the sense of like showing these proprietary internally used things publicly. Mm -hmm. So that was a big deal. Um, but the team itself is six there and then working with other groups too. So even part of my job, I'm not with Seed anymore, but part of my job is to kind of be a oversee. key point of contact of taking research they're doing and helping move it into production. Mm -hmm. um, so out of the out of the six, um, this thought popped into my head. Are is that is that group of six that works closely with you a set of problem solvers or implementers? They're problem solvers. Okay. Oh that's they, cool. They do implement a lot. But it's and that's implementing the solution. Yeah. But they spend a lot of time talking with the, you know, 
the rest of the team. So we have our post-solving team, and we have our face-solving team, and we have our acquisition team, which are the teams that actually run the day-to-day shoots and mm-hmm. capture the data or do the scanning. Mm. Um, and so we're always solving problems there to keep maintain that and keep them running, but we're always looking at how we improve looking into stuff like virtual production tools and yeah. things like that. That's you know. cool. Um, but that split between Vancouver yeah. and LA. So LA is newer. We just built the new mocap stage and stuff out in Chatsworth, mm. a new mocap facility. So we've been, I've been building up a team here. So I have two, two of the TAs are here in LA with me nice. and focused on the efforts that are going on, but I'm still f- traveling and flying up to Vancouver and Man, That's what I was going to ask next board, was, uh, yeah. do you have to travel a lot for your role? I travel a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. But a lot of miles. Yeah. A lot of miles. I'm actually going to Stockholm in a couple of weeks to, because we have like a central, um, like dev days conference out in Stockholm where mm. Dice house from for the Frostbite engine and all that, which we use on a lot of our titles. So. Oh, cool. So that's an Isn't EA Isn't that cool when you can like get... Yeah. Uh, get to travel and get uh, more exposure out Actually, there, Look, seeing I, how people live, how people communicate and stuff. It's awesome. I really enjoy the travel as part of my job because, um, and this is one of the newer jobs where I've had that. Yeah, you it's know. a good feeling. And the other ones, it was very rare to to travel because I was at studios where, you know, other than, than going <coughs> on location like a digital domain to go shoot in England or whatever on a film. Yeah. This is like, I'm going two days to Montreal and then I'm going to fly up to Edmonton and then come back to Vancouver for a week and then I'm going to jump over to Stockholm and then go to Guilford, you know, because we're global. So there's a lot of requirement in my role to jump over there because we're a central group. We work with all these teams, so it's really getting FaceTime with them, uh, planning um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really rewarding. That's cool, man. Job, yeah. So is there anything that you want to leave the viewers, um, that student, that person that may be looking to change roles, um, that person who is probably in the same profession, just not up to the level that you have accomplished already? What are some of the things that you would leave them with? Um, you've already left a lot of great gems of, um, being able to adapt being able to always be learning, but what is something that you want to leave as this, as our interviews coming like to an end and stuff? Like, um, what are some of the things you want to leave to that person? A couple persons? of things I would say, like for the students coming out of school when you're working on demo reels and stressing and you're learning a lot of stuff. From my experience, and I've hired been a people hire for a long time and worked with a lot of others. Less is more, is a big thing. It's better to have two, three great pieces that really showcase you than a hundred kind of pieces that you just pump to try to get a lot, Mm -hmm. right? Like really focus on an effort of selling yourself in that way. Like what, what do you do that makes you shine? And just really make the highest quality one or two of those you can. Right, and you don't, and it doesn't have to be the whole package. Like, you know, you can't, you don't have to expect it, because, because we are more, I guess. Uh, how how would you put it? It's 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 like 
Are you trying to say like because it, there are teams when when you actually do things in final production, there's teams of people who work and focus on different disciplines. Yes. So, so if so you can focus on the discipline one discipline, focused, yeah, right. It doesn't have to be a generalist on everything. You don't. Yeah. You can be a character artist and not do textures, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can be, and if your forte is building these characters, you can always learn to do the texturing, right? Because there's also going to be so much proprietary stuff. Like you're always going to have to learn. And that's why I always say keep learning, but it is a requirement. Like you have to learn. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you feel you've, you're going into it, especially new, thinking you have to know it all to pull off that role, and you don't, as long as what you show that's selling you makes people see the potential of what you can do. Mm -hmm. Right? So if you're not great at texturing, but you're a good learner, but you're an amazing sculptor, or whatever, like show that, and don't be afraid to show that. Yeah, keep that keep that thing grayscale. <laughs> It'll yeah. still look great. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and get help from your friends too. Like, yeah. if you know someone that's great at lighting, have them do a little light rig for you. Trade off yeah. some work. Give them a little character that they can then show up their lighting more. You know, like yeah. like work with your friends, network, help each other out. But but do know like when you're trying to get that foot in the door, and it's hard. I've gotten lucky and we've talked about, I've, I've had gaps in there where I wasn't working and every and after years of doing it, we're trying to find a job. It's not, it doesn't get easier in the sense of, of finding a new job, right? getting a new foot in the door. But that's why it's so important to always network and, and, and to make sure that you remember, you may work with any of these people again no matter where you're at mm -hmm. years down the road. So make sure that your, you know, crunch can make things stressful. Stress can just be stressful trying to get stuff done. Make sure that you are remembering that and compartmentalizing as best you can, like the sense of business versus friendship versus Yeah, don't blow up on people. Don't <laughs> blow up, don't fight with people, don't, yeah. you know, because um, it's all important. I've done it for so long. Because when I do find myself in a problem, oh, I don't have a job and stuff, I have people I can just say, hey, if you hear anything, and they will do that because yeah. they would want to work with me again or they want to make sure that I'm taken care of because I've, I've spent my time making sure I'm not pissing people off, right? Like, <laughs> and they know they know your value. They see the value yeah. you bring to the projects that you But they you're also on. like working with me, Exactly, right? yeah. Because no matter how good you are, you know, I've – not hired people because their their impression and how they are versus the weight of what they could offer yeah. no matter how good their skill set is doesn't mean i want to work with them yeah and that's another key thing is you matter even though you may feel like oh they just want to see my work and have have a workhorse and yeah it, it's never the case it's all of the all about the team structure team morale Bringing on that one wrong person can like oh, yeah. spiral can you down spiral to like it a down, make you unhappy. Yeah. You want to be happy doing your job, whether you have to work with them directly or not. It can bring you people's work it down. Be, it's a huge yeah. impact on a team. Huge impact. And so, those are two key things. Like, which is you know, sell what you know. Don't push too hard to try to sell what you don't know yet, because you can always learn, and you will learn. Um for the real and stuff like that. But then, yeah. And then the other point is that 
is I have I have my term that I've been doing a writing a talk and it's just I'll say it, don't be a Richard, right? Okay, what's that? <laughs> in what the is nice that? way, right? What is, don't be a ri- oh. Don't. oh, okay, okay, okay. Yes, in the nice way. I mean, but but it is kind of, and I've told that even to when I was being interviewed. It's like that's what I live by every day yeah. when I'm working. And just don't be a Richard. Yeah. <laughs> right. I so. think I think a lot of people they'll catch themselves if they are if they feel they're coming across that, that way yeah. they'll just say it and be like oh i'm not trying to i'm not trying to be this way i mean that's a lot of you're gonna get that there's that's a that whole nother conversation of like conflict along. of ideas or yeah. what have you like people don't intend to be that way it's just it's communication it's just yes, it's how people communicate and some but but it's very important yeah and you have to think about it all the time yeah it's no matter how perception. stressful because, yeah, it changes people's perception and whether they – because it comes down to even like I was saying, it gets overshadowed no matter how good all the stuff yeah. is. That moment that one could thing. mean they'll never work with you again. Yeah. Right? And I've seen that and I've seen that happen. Yeah. <laughs> and because everyone remembers a very bad experience. But and it could easy. even be your reaction to something like – you could have been the person that was was receiving the wrongdoing, but it's your reaction to it that people would just be like, oh, my God, did yeah. you see what they did? And it's like no one remembers yeah. what the catalyst was to yeah. make you be that way. No, they yeah. remember the moment yeah. that was a bad experience yeah. way more than they remember all the good times. Yeah, And that's just how it is overall. But it becomes that when you are looking to have to jump to another company or you're looking for a job because the company you worked at shut down or laid a bunch of people off like it it's part of the networking it's part of something to always consider i mean i've done it 29 years and i've got a lot of places i've worked at only a couple of them have actually left during the time they were open but you have a lot of great work too man on your resume dude but it's awesome i appreciate that a lot but a lot of it is those companies don't exist anymore except for Naughty Dog. Digital Domain is Digital Domain 3.0 now. Yeah. And then I'm at EA. All the rest of the companies that I've worked at aren't around anymore. Even LucasArts, right? Like, I mean. Oh, yeah, that went down, yeah. But it's, you know, it's it's that sense of if you look at my history, none of those companies exist anymore. Yeah. I think the other crazy thing, too, I think when we were there, um, that was a luxury of the company. Like, um, uh, let me put that in a different way. So ILM is their bread and butter. Yeah. But uh, Lucas Arts was always just like a vanity. Like I want a game studio. This is you know. Yeah, Jet is. wants some games made. <laughs> so Basically, he was, so he's like, yeah. Dad, make these games. <laughs> you know, in Lucas Arts. Remember when know? he interned for that summer? That was yeah. That was funny. He was doing prank calls on Hayden. It's pretty funny. But, <laughs> yeah, he sat, like, right next to me during his internship. It's hilarious. So it's, it was fun to see, like, George and his entourage come in and do the dad thing on his first day yeah. and stuff and see him as a person. Yeah. That was, that was a good, cool experience to see. Came I think the one thing that... of his desk and stuff, you know. Was, the one thing fun. I experienced was um, we were doing, like, the whole IP, like, Team 3. We were doing a yeah. bunch of IP ideas. <laughs> And then uh, th- what came out of one of the things when we were talking to like uh, Peter Hirschman and I um, can't remember the other guy's name, but uh, he was like, Dad, I want a racing game. <laughs> he was like, 
well, I made Pod Racer. What what do you want? He was like, <laughs> I want something different than Pod Racer. And so like we we had to do all these pitches. We went back and then um, we showed all the ideas to them and they're like, oh, we want it to be like you know, fifty style cars, old world cars, but with new tech. And it's just like, <laughs> oh my god, like, and that's all we got. And then we just had to like come up with what this whole game would be. But you know, you, they only give you like maybe three bullet points of like, I want this, this, and this. And it's crazy, man. It was crazy. Well, speaking of that, like I do work with Peter Hirschman again. Oh, nice. Out of, uh, out of all Re- this time, yeah. he's at Respawn, yeah. yeah, which EA purchased last year. Yeah, nice. The men industrial toys. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that whole thing. Like it all comes around. Jim Ward. Jim Ward. There you I, go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll leave, leave that. that. We'll, leave, we'll that. leave that. Yeah. Well, that's cool, we man. We wrote it down on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I do appreciate you taking the time to come here and talk. Oh, I think this it's is going to be very valuable for people who are looking to get into industry, who are already in industry, or just enthusiasts who like to dabble. But uh, it was great seeing you again. It was great talking to you. Dude, we got to keep in contact more often. Oh, definitely. It, it's been too long since we talked. Yeah. Know. We've kind of pinged each other a couple times over yeah. the years. But it was I still remember when we went out. I think you told me, like, you are like, oh, man, I'm about to go for a smoke break. I don't smoke. Yeah. But uh, I remember going out and sitting on the bench. I still remember our conversation a little bit when we were sitting out there in the Presidio. Like, yeah. that was the, I think that was the first time we had, like, a genuine conversation outside of work yeah. like and we just talked and i was just like oh my god you know yeah but no, I re- very I ambitious that. you I know remember it. i was yeah Good a lot times. of people i you know have distinct memories of you yeah know, and you're definitely one of those and that's oh thanks man yeah it's like your name that's pops awesome. up and i just know it it's not nice. one of those you gotta think back like oh who is that yeah yeah i appreciate that that's cool i appreciate um, that thank you but, yeah. but no i'm glad we got together and thanks for having me out no problem dude thank you very much well, hope you guys learned something new. Uh, we'll be back soon with another interview, but please uh, check out this man's work. Uh, he has done a great job, and I'm looking forward to all the continued success in the future. Uh, you got the new Need for Speed. Yeah, nice. Oh, Top heat. End. Yeah. <laughs> nice. the face tech that's being used in that. So. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I ju- you know what? I just watched the trailer uh, yesterday because I think some people got it early. And they were already streaming it. Oh, and it was the police together, chief like, like talking at a podium. And I was like, that looks pretty good. It's very much on par with uh, L.A. Noir, But it's not the same yep. style of the projection when they did it. I was, yep, I was, it's, it's a I was blown away, man. It's a animation rig, wrinkle maps, all that. So it's not like the projection technique. But yeah, but yeah we, we someone's already put together on YouTube all cutscenes from the game uh, already. No spoilers, man. I, yeah, no, I definitely want to pick that one up. That one looks really good. get some of the face stuff and things that we worked on it's yeah it they're all there so i won't tell the link to the youtuber yeah don't don't no spoilers no spoilers you want people to go buy it but so yeah but that's kind of annoying (laughs) (laughs) it happens man i think people you know with youtube and streaming twitch and all this other stuff people just want to be the first one out the gate and that used to be the thing is yeah first post (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah if you're not first you're last yeah um oh, I love love, but, love but thank you guys i hope you <laughs> I hope you learned something new um uh, thanks have a good night